a blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Class of 1984, stars Perry King, Timothy Van Patten, and Roddy McDowell. So welcome to another episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And this week we are doing Class of 1984. This was Zach's pick. So, buddy, uh, tell me, what, why did you pick this one? Well, going down the, the annals of cult movie history, this is one that people, actually not that many people know about this movie on a, on a grander scale. When you, when you mention cult movies and people are like, oh, Evil Dead or oh, uh, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, if you think of high school movies, you're like, oh, rock and roll high school. And Class of 1984 is one of those movies that people might have heard of, but it's twisted enough to be considered a classic, a cult classic, in my opinion. I'm sure. I've, I've heard of it. I've seen the poster for this. Halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, we're not watching Class of Newcomb High. That's, <laughs> I, I wrote that on yeah, my Yeah, that's another high school movie. Right, and know. as a kid, I hadn't seen either of them, so I kind of in my head got confused about which one I was watching. Now, side note, I watched the correct movie for this podcast. Good. It just wasn't the movie that I thought I was watching. But I honestly very much enjoyed it. We'll get into that later. But this is, um, if you guys listened to the last episode, Heavy Metal, while Zach had seen it obviously many times before, it was more my movie growing up. And this time, with Zach picking the movie, I think it's fortuitous that I've never seen it. So hopefully next time we pick a movie, maybe Zach will have never seen it or something. But that's how we're going to kind of bounce back and forth with this. But yeah. this is fun. And, and I'm just having a, 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 a moment right now thinking about the fact that I was a teacher for... 15 years i hope that this movie didn't have an influence on me necessarily um i was always drawn towards high school movies or teaching movies this role model kind of figure that gets pushed too far and and this is one of those movies where he gets pushed really far yeah Uh, maybe the furthest a teacher has ever been pushed before (laughs) it's also really timely right now because we're dealing with a lot of violence in school. This movie came out in 1982, but even though it came out 30 years ago, I think it's still really relevant today. I agree with you. Unfortunately, I felt, I felt the same way as I was watching it, and I was like, okay, this is as cheesy as it is here and there. It was very much what's going on nowadays to some ex- some extent, some degree. Yeah. I-, I thought it was timely. It was very interesting to see that. I was not expecting that aspect of it. There's a moment that we'll get into uh, towards the middle of the film that is very relevant in 2018 and 2019. And it makes you think, maybe this is something we shouldn't even consider, even though a lot of people do consider it. I know I'm being kind of cryptic right now. But when we get to that point, we'll discuss it more. Okay. All right. Well, then let's get ready to dive in the movie. Uh, Real quick, when was the first time you saw this? You guys all know this is the first time I've seen this. So do you remember when your first experience was? I I, Okay. I think we talked about this in our intro or maybe the first episode with Heavy Metal. But 
1984, 1985, 1986 were the three most kind of formative years for me as far as seeing stuff that was way inappropriate for my age group, but really influential. So I think I saw this movie around 1984, probably my brother, Eric. Shout out to my brother. He, <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he'll come up in almost every episode, I'm sure. Rented this from the video store. And I remember the cover art. I, I, my all-time favorite movie is The Warriors. And the iconic art from the video box is all of the gangs. This has a very similar vibe to it where it's got the main gang of the movie, the main antagonists on the cover and looking very punkish, like looking neon and punk rock. When, and it, side note, when did the Warriors come out? Warriors came out in 79. Okay, so then this movie was probably doing an homage cover-wise to the Warriors. Clearly, okay. yeah, yeah. There's nothing else that's really... Well, there actually is something that's connected, but um, yeah, this was definitely the movie where I was like whoa, it looks like a warrior's box. Let's get this. You know, my, when my brother brought it home, he's like, yeah, check this out. And I thought, oh, cool. Well, it's nothing like the warrior's. No, it, <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> it, not but at it's all. it's equally badass in its own way. Yes, it is. I, in I its call, own way, it's really cool. I call this an after-school special on crack, basically. <laughs> oh, you know what? Going into it, uh, that would have been cool to sort of know that idea because you're right. It is kind of <laughs> like that. I, I do find kind of see that relevant right there. Yeah, it has. If you, for those of us that grew up in the 80s, after school, after school specials were the jam that you came home to if you weren't going to watch cartoons. And they were all cheesy as shit. Cheesy as shit. Dr- um, had some sort of moral message, you know, anti drugs, anti alcohol, anti bullying, uh, anti. Uh, racism and some of them even though they were cheesy the message was really good and in this one it feels like uh class of 1984 you know took a hit off the pipe and we're like let's just go full on you know <laughs> and, and everything guns <laughs> violence drugs sex, sex. nudity yes and the director mark lester who was known up until that point for directing um roller boogie with linda blair okay which is actually a, a, a Another like kind of cheesy cult movie, and Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, which we'll talk about later as well. That those are like these two big movies he did. This one is not in that vein. This is way off the other end. But um, the script was originally written by Tom Holland, who's known for Fright Night, my in my top ten of all time, uh, Child's Play. No shit. Okay. Yeah, he wrote the original script. So he's a horror writer. That This movie does have these interesting little horror elements to it. Honestly, I felt like thematically it was a little bit... It bounced all over the place here and there. Yeah. And I do see the horror elements. And I guess maybe that's what he brought, Tom Holland brought to the table then. Yeah, I, I, in, in doing research for this for this flick, I was look, trying to look up the connection or his part in it. Because I think there's listed, the, like there's like four screenwriters. Right. Um I, I think he wrote the original screenplay, though. Yeah, and I, I, I got to imagine the third act had a lot to do with that. Yeah, that's um, that's honestly what I'm thinking about. Yeah, it, and there's a, there's a documentary on YouTube, I'm sure you can find it, um, where Mark Lester kind of implies that he was the one that mapped out this whole movie. But knowing Tom Holland's resume, it's safe to assume that he had a big part in the horror aspect of it. Yeah, knowing that, I agree with you. Yeah. 
So jumping right into the movie, uh, it's it's an indie flick, by the way. I ended up getting distributed by United Artists, but it, that that's a longer story. And didn't they say in the the budget was three mil? Three million dollars, which at that time that's a lot of money. That is that is a lot of money for 1981 money because it was made in 81, released in 82. Yes, yeah. and I'm also realizing it's the same year that Heavy Metal came out. Oh, good point. So, <laughs> okay, here we are. We're like starting at the beginning. We did not plan that. <laughs> that was not planned. No. Um, but yeah, this 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 cold open there. There is this uh, creepy title card that pops up right in the beginning of the movie. I love creepy title cards, by the way. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of had that vibe to it. Um, a lot of like seventies exploitation horror films have that, where they didn't nec- they even though uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre had a narrator. That was just, I don't know, there's something eerie about it. Like, you're about to see something that's real, you know? And it and it, and it throws up some random fact. Like, last year, there were 280,000 incidents of violence by students against their teachers and classmates in our high schools. Very ominous, you know? But there's no narrator. It's just the title card. Now, see, this is what sort of hammered home for me that I was watching Class of Newcomb High. Because I, <laughs> I thought this had like a, a sort of a post-apocalyptic vibe to that title card. But then it opens on like a normal looking school. And I'm like, yeah. hmm, what's happening here? And then, we'll, you know, later on, we'll figure out exactly where I, I figured it out. Well, the, the, the title card finishes by saying, you know, this, the, the, this hasn't happened yet implying that it's set in the future. Yeah, exactly. And then even, and then so the, the opening track, you know, the, the title cards open up and it, and it launches right into the opening song, which I know you have some very strong opinions about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alice Cooper's song. Yeah, go ahead. That song is wild. So my first notes on this podcast that I'm taking is when does a dream become a nightmare question mark terrible song then the next line because I saw that it was by Alice Cooper I said Alex Cooper exclamation point dot 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 my god (laughs) yeah I wonder okay this might piss some people off but I think it's fairly accurate to say that Alice Cooper I would lump him into like the meatloaf kind of metal I truly scene. don't. I don't think I've ever heard an Alice Cooper song oh, before. Heard- the thing that I kind of know Alice Cooper the most as is this Todd McFarlane action figure version of himself. And I know that Alice Cooper is, you know, this this rock dude, this I don't know, goth rock, whatever the heck you called it, late seventies, early eighties. It's theatrical. The- yeah, exactly. And and I'm like, okay, I get, I know that, and I've seen him in movies like Prince of Darkness. So I'm, I know who Alice Cooper is. But listening to this song, yeah. I, I didn't know that it was Alice Cooper vo- like vocally until I saw it on the, the title card. And I was like, oh, so this is what Alice Cooper sounds like. And then my next thought was like, I, I don't think I'm an Alice Cooper fan. <laughs> well, okay, as a teacher for years, I used to play the song Schools Out. And because that's an iconic, that's probably his most famous song he's ever made. That one in I'm 18. Is that Schools Out for Summer? Yeah, schools Out Forever. Out forever. Okay, right? so I know that song. That's Alice Cooper? Yeah. Okay, so then I know one and I actually like that song. Okay. Okay. And and I will say that the the hook on this song, the, the, the what do you call it? The I'm not a musician. I have no idea. It's the chord, the middle part, right? The, the chorus. chorus. Well, yeah. the chorus. You know, take a look at my face. I am the future. It's really badass. Except it's sung ter- terribly. Yes. <laughs> it's it not, is sung, sung like Alice Cooper. <laughs> it is sung terribly. And and the opening is this kind of like, we're walking through the forest. It's very like, um, th- th- yeah, again, theatrical. It's cheesy. You cut after that song into... 
Perry King, our lead character, Mr. Norris, driving to school on his first day of school and seeing people on the street, kids like robbing a store. Um, it's like worst case scenario across the board. Yeah, it's, there's you know graffiti, making out. There's a dude who hops on the back of a school bus, which is that's in some ways I'm like, are we watching? Um, you know, Grand Theft Auto right now. Like this yeah, is honestly with that the kid riding in the back of the, the school bus like that. I felt like that was just shot. You know, sort of what um, handheld. You know, like that. That wasn't staged. No. Uh, maybe, and if it was, that just looked dangerous as shit. Yeah, and and I, I have to say that uh, really quick that this this movie was shot in Toronto. Yeah, it's supposed to have this kind of New York, Chicago, Detroit, some urban city in America vibe to it. I was trying to figure out the entire movie where it was supposed to take place. I thought at first it was New York, and then I kind of keyed in on, I was thinking it was Detroit. Yeah. But no, and at the end, yeah, it's Toronto, and that's why we couldn't figure, you know, you can't figure it out. Yeah, these like nameless places. You're like, oh, I would never know that place. Anyways, there's crazy debauchery going on as he pulls into school, and parks in his spot and i think the first thing that pops up is the parking sign yeah and it's, it's like a parking lot but it says fucking lot <laughs> they're made to turn it into fucking lot yeah yeah, yeah. it's like so, good job kid <laughs> good one what is this captain underpants uh, yeah <laughs> rearranging That's clever very so, clever and and then as as mr norris heads into class he's um what well, heads into the school he's going through metal detectors which is relevant nowadays i yeah. guess a lot of schools do that and um and and so as he's walking in, there's kind of chaos that's ensuing. He sees a kid with a straight razor, and he says to the security guard, he's like, hey, that, that kid's got a straight razor. And the security guard's like, well, he got away. Or... I mean, that security guard was doing the best he could <laughs> in that tidal wave of kids coming through those doors. He shines later on. Yeah, he does. He does shine later on. He's not a terrible security guard. No. He's not like a stereotypical bad guy. You know, I thought all the teachers were going to be bad, but they're actually not in no. this. Like Even the principal I thought was going to maybe be bad, but he's not. Um, but Rodney, Rod, Rodney McDowell, R- Roddy McDowell, Roddy McDowell. There you go. Um, he does have a gun on him though, which is yes. ironic that in his briefcase, he's like, I've got it. You know, he's got a gun and uh, for protection, but the, the teacher Norris, it's like, I can't, you know, why do you have that gun? He's like, Oh, you haven't been here too long. Have you? Yeah. And which is, which is a really great scene in a way because, well, first of all, Roddy McDowell is probably one of my favorite screen actors again, because he's in Friday night. <laughs> and but he's from Planet of the Apes yeah. and so many amazing roles and he brings this kind of sophistication to the movie where it like ramps it up from just kind of a legit exploitation film to like whoa there's actually a lot going on here G- going back to Perry King being uh, the lead actor in the movie is from a show called Riptide from the 80s. I've one never... of my favorite shows of the 80s. What does what is, what is, that take place in like the beach or something? Riptide was like they were like private investigators. But they, it was uh, one of the famous things, things they had in it was this uh, cool robot. And no. the nerdy, the nerdy there, it's a, so there's uh, Joe Penny, Perry King, and then this kind of nerdy looking dude who's from Prince of Darkness. Okay. Uh, Joe Penny had this kind of like, you know, there's a blonde guy and a dark haired guy. Um, it made me think of like Simon and Simon. They actually look like Simon and Simon. It, you know, it's it, it was a part of that time of like, oh, cool PIs. And they had this really awesome helicopter with a big mouth on the front of it, like an old military. Um, that they drove? Like they piloted Oh, yeah, they piloted this awesome, badass. It, and there's a robot on this show? Yeah, there's a robot. Wait, so this is competing with like Knight Rider and, and, and Airwolf and Blue Thunder? Yeah. 
And Simon and Simon. And Simon and Simon. Yeah. Wow. It blo- okay. It blows Simon and Simon out of the water. No offense, but well, I was I was a Scarecrow and Mrs. King uh, kind of guy. Oh well, up. of course, you know, <laughs> with uh, you know Bruce Boxleitner in there. So yes, there you exactly. Go. <laughs> Bruce Boxcutter. <laughs> Bruce Boxcutter, dude. No, Riptide's great. Check okay. it out. I will check that so out, good. man. I'll check that Just out. At least watch the intro because that's all we do now. Of course, of course. But um, all right. So we're going through the metal detectors, and it's he he clearly sees that it's futile now. Yeah, it's futile, and then he meets Mister Corey. Oregon, Terry, his good, his soon to be good buddy, and he's got the gun, and you're like, oh shit, teachers with guns? That's crazy. Yeah, shit's hardcore. Don't aren't we talking about that nowadays? Like wanting to arm teachers because of all the shootings that are going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching it now again with the 2019 lens, going, actually, this movie isn't too far from the truth at this point. One more thing I want to add about Roddy McDowell's character before Mr. Norris goes into his music class, he says to. To, to Mr. Norris, he's like, do you know any moves? And Mr. Norris is like, what do you mean moves? And he says, you know, jiu-jitsu, karate, stuff like that. <laughs> and it's just a great, I love that line because it's like, wait, why is he going to need to know that? Well, and, and it's the fact that he calls them moves. Yeah. Do you know any moves? And <laughs> it's that line coupled with later on when you see uh, McDowell, Drinking a beer like he's never drank a beer before in his life. I realized that um, Ron, shit is it Ronnie McDowell? Ron, Rod, Roddy, like Roddy, think Roddy yeah. Piper. I always call him. I always want to say Rodney McDowell, but it's Roddy McDowell. Roddy, yeah. And I know him from Planet of the Apes. I was never a big uh, fight fright night guy, so he's Planet of the Apes to me. But uh, Rodney McDowell, when he's drinking <laughs> beer later, and it looks like he's like sucking cock on that thing <laughs> in the car, and I'm like, this guy just doesn't even know how to drink a beer. He's never drank a beer in his life. No, he's more of a scotch and soda kind of guy. Yes, the way he was staring at his scotch and soda. He drinks a lot through this movie, but for good reason. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, so so Norris is on his way to his classroom, but then he stops by the principal's office, and the principal, you know, tells him that during his off periods, he's got to... He's got to watch the hallways and the bathrooms. And he's like, well, what am I going to get to actually teach? He's like, oh, we don't teach here. We just get through the day, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And I thought the principal was going to turn out maybe to be bad or something when I first saw him. Like yeah. he was in cahoots with, you know, the bad kids or whatever. And or he was paid off under the table. But all the adults in this movie are really trying to do their best, yeah. but they're all trying to do it within the parameters of society, within the parameters of what the school dictates. And it's the kids that are obviously out of control. But I thought I thought for sure like the principal would turn out to be bad or something. But it was it's interesting. It, it actually made it oddly a little bit more interesting because it didn't turn out to be as cliche as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, they're very... I mean, they're like very traditional roles. Right. And I think it would have been nowadays to make this movie, it would be cliche to make the principal a bad guy in the end, like to make this some sort of set up a twist for later. This movie doesn't really have any twists. It just is what it is. No twist. Yeah. But he's very like um, unsympathetic. He is a little bit unsympathetic. And and, and, and Norris is is very much this straight laced good guy. Yeah. And he looks like a good guy, too. Oh, he yeah. straight up looks like uh, a hero. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I know... He looks like a protagonist. He totally looks like the... Just like... With the chiseled jaw and like, I'm the good guy, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and so from there, he goes into the uh, into his classroom where he meets his students and he meets the gang. It's an interesting way to honestly show you in this one set, one shot... All the antagonists and all the protagonists. And you get to meet everyone in one go right here. 
And one person that I was not in a million years expecting to see was Michael J. Fox. You mean Michael Fox? As well, that's the, the funny movie? part. I saw that in the credits at the beginning. Michael Fox. I go, oh, somebody's riding off of the Michael J. Fox train, not realizing that this is before Michael J. Fox even becomes big. No. And he's there. And I'm like, oh, my God. A, he looks like a baby. Yeah. And B... He's, he's Michael Fox in this movie. And yeah, he had one other kind of fairly large role uh, in a Disney movie called Midnight Madness. Interesting. That came out, I think, in 1980 okay. with, with David Naughton. So when <clears throat> did Growing Pains come out? Growing Pains came out after this. Like how many years? I don't even I know. I think offhand. pretty much maybe 83. Okay. I I'm, could be wrong about so that. So he might have gone right from this into Growing Pains, essentially. I think so. Yeah. He And apparently he was cast because he's Canadian. And this being a Canadian film, you know, you know they got to go with local talent. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, watching him in this now, you, he's he's great in it. He, yeah, he, he really is. He plays his role. He's yep. perfect. And it's it's funny because he's like the class clown kind of guy, you know. I think, well, prior to that, they the, the gang is there. Like you said, there's this full reveal of everybody in the movie, which is really cool because the bad guys are kids. They're the, the, the they're students at the school. Even though I wrote this in my notes multiple times, they have more hair in their bodies than any adults I've ever seen and are all clearly 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to go down and kind of, well, <laughs> yeah. I had to go down and... Um, uh, find who the names of the characters because because they never call the gang members out by name except for one of them. Uh, well, two of them. The lead being Stegman. Fallon is the other one who looks like he's thirty years old. Yeah, and he always is, is he the unibrow? Is he the muscle unibrow? He's the guy? muscle unibrow guy, but not the fat guy. No, that guy is Barnyard. Okay, and then <laughs> drugstore is the guy who says not here. Yes, and is okay. So I actually wrote that down oh. here. I go, I really like the not here bit, and I liked the not here kid, and that turned into he's drugstore. And then I was looking him up on IMDb. He was in that show, uh, Planet of the Giants or whatever, oh, Land of the Lost. Land, no, it came out around you know the the that late 60s early 70s or something or mid 70s oh, cool. around that time area but it was a it was a lost in space sort of scenario but the people they land on a place that looks like earth 100% like earth but the, the people the astronauts who land there are tiny so everyone here or on the planet they're on even though it looks like earth are all giants yes so okay. it's all this like weird shit that happens but he, apparently he was like the kid in that show yeah, and, yeah i recognized him and i recognized barnyard and I think I recognize the woman who played Patsy. She's the... She, I didn't... She was the bad villain. Yeah, I did yeah. not recognize her. But yeah, my two favorites were Stegman. Loved him progressively more and more throughout the oh. entire movie. He became one of my favorite antagonists. <laughs> He's awesome. And, and I, I really liked who at the time I called the not here guy. Yeah. Not realizing his name was like Drugstore. Drugstore. Yeah, and I liked the, him. There's a reason why he's called Drugstore right. later on. But yeah, Ste yeah Stegman is... Re is is introduced by giving a goose step and speaking in German and putting up the Heil Hitler sign. Which the neo-Nazi stuff doesn't really come back later, except Barnyard is always wearing a, a swastika on his shirt. Yeah. But, so I feel like they tried to tap into that, but honestly, he spit out that German line so quickly that also knowing later of what he can do musically, yeah. I think that it was an indication of how smart he is. I didn't pick up on that the first time, but going back to it, I think that was supposed to be like an indication that he's a little bit higher intelligence than you think he's going to be. That makes total sense because, yeah, he, it does it, he does it perfectly, and uh, Timothy Van Patten plays Stegman, and Timothy Van Patten was in a great 70s show called The White Shadow. 
about a white basketball coach. And then he was later in the early, actually after this movie, the early 80s called The Master with Lee Van Cleef. Oh, shit. You know what's funny? <laughs> oh, my God. The only reason I know about that show is because they talked about it on the Blast from Our Past podcast. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on our network. <laughs> nice. What, what was the rep? What was the connection? Fuck. I think they did uh, the Lee Van Cleef show. The the that show whatever. oh the master yeah the master they oh. did it with i if i have to go back and guys i adam and john i apologize if i got this wrong but i think it was on the episode where they did they did on billy jack maybe okay i'd have to go back and, and check it out yeah but the master is a badass show the only reason i know about the master is because of that podcast oh nice well there you go <laughs> <laughs> i was hoping i'd stump you yeah no dude good job buddy God, i loved i love the master yeah and timothy van patten up until this point was like this He's this good-looking guy, and uh, but kind of sweet and innocent. And then this movie just ramps it up to the highest degree. He goes full Hannibal Lecter years <laughs> yes. before Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, he does. Honestly, He's, I would not be surprised if that screenwriter or whatever at some point saw this movie and just took a just a tiny little bit of it for Hannibal Lecter because yeah, he's great yeah he it's almost like the beginning stages of Lecter mm-hmm. he actually reminded me of uh, John Patrick Kelly's character from the Warriors, the main villain in the Warriors, okay. you know, the, uh, the weasel Warriors yeah, yeah. come out to play because there's like a tone that when he talks, he kind of has a weaselish way of talking at times when he's called, he refers to Norris as teacher, 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 yeah. kind of this like slurred New York accent a little bit. And, uh, and it's funny to me cause I'm like, yeah, I get that he's a badass and he looks cool and he's in, but he's also kind of has a weasel side to him too. Like, like he's still a kid, 16, 17 years old. And Perry King's character, Norris, could clearly just kick the shit out of him if he yeah, wanted he could, to. He could any, at any point, he could win a battle with this kid, and you know it. But it's the fact that his hands are tied by the law, by what's happening. He's trying to be like, but I'm the adult. Why is this happening? Yeah. You know? And it makes everything make sense. Yeah, it really does. Good job tracking on that. I, I loved I loved the villain in this movie. From the get-go, I liked him. By the end of it, I love him. Yeah, and that's a sign of a good movie is if you like the, if the villain is good. Yes, agreed. 100% agreed. One thing that I did not like at all was that young lady's femme mullet? <laughs> oh, you mean Den- uh, Denine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who well, kind of stands up to him? There's like, <laughs> so, there's some great lines in this movie. That's the worst haircut I've ever seen in my entire life, though. Yeah, it is. It is. So Denine is like uh, Michael J. Fox's Michael Fox's buddy. Yes. The other music, and you find out early on, like she's the one who conducts the music class when they didn't have a teacher there. That plays into the end of the movie. Of course. That'll um, come back later. That's, but, that's screenwriting 101. <laughs> but she's got a great line in the movie when she says, you jerks don't belong here to the gang because they, they're just like hanging out. And what does Stegman say? Shut your hole, you little dyke. <laughs> it's so... It's a jaw-dropping moment because you're like, whoa, I can't believe he just said that. That's horrible. It's like he went, you know, things are messed up because he went there and it's school. It's like, oh, and right in front of the teacher too. Yeah. And then, but Danine, uh steps back in and she's like, you don't scare me, freakoid. You know, she like kind of gives it, she's not afraid of him. No. And no. then they, they, they exit stage left and, you know, Michael Fox has his moment to shine where he makes some jokes and because it's in an orchestra cra- class, they have a... They have a, you know, boom, boom, drum roll or whatever, which I'm like, wow, this is great. They have, where's the uh, built-in audience reactions and everything, you know, like a sitcom. That's when it starts to feel like an after-school special. Like it's very light and it's, you know, there's, 
that that moment where Stegman barks at her, you're like, whoa, wait, this is an R-rated movie now. This isn't just PG. You tonally, I kind of didn't know it was going to ramp up as high as it was going to get until the end. It, it does ramp up, but tonally, I thought it was... I was honestly, I was unsure. I didn't know anyone was going to die in this movie. No. Or at least I figured, you know, maybe like one person would die to kind of like kick off what needs to be done yeah. kind of mentality. But yeah, this movie is, is very interesting where it goes. Yeah, you feel like, okay, the, at the most, if we see someone die, they're going to die off camera. Right. Or you'll see them start to get hurt, but then they're not going to go too brutal. Exactly. But then as we kick into the next scene, uh, it's the gang is outside and in the hallways, right, of the of the school and they're selling drugs and, and there's a kid, Leroy, I think is selling drugs. He's a rival gang. I'm assuming. Yeah. That's, and, that was my takeaway. Yeah. And you know, they, they beat the shit out of him and pretty violently. <laughs> and you're like, okay, this is getting pretty intense. Right. I will. I noted that throughout this movie, the one bad guy kid, which one had the, the, the unibrow, but he was Fallon. He was, yeah. He was muscular he did a lot of physical work in this movie, and he did it very well. Later on, he kind of rolled over the bed, and he did it perfectly. And I was like, you know, if he messed up that shot, that was a long, like a long take. Yeah. They would have had to reset everything. Uh, he was the one that slid under the the railing when he was chasing the kid down oh, the yeah. stairs. Yep. He was a very physical actor. I, I thought I really appreciated what he brought to that character. Yeah, he 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 actually stands out. I think, uh, uh, and I think that was obvious from the get go. Like, oh, this guy's got. A look to him that even though he looks 38, you know, yes, <laughs> he, 17 year olds. Yes, he has a look to him, and that is an old man. <laughs> At least he didn't have a mustache like another character does in later in the movie. Yeah. I don't know. It's we'll wild. get to that later. It is yeah. wild, guys. So after that, like I, I'm assuming at the around the same time, Norris is back in the teacher's lounge and he's talking to his buddy Terry, Roddy's character, and. At that point, again, Roddy McDowell is like just stands out as being such an A-list actor, and you're like, oh my god, this guy chews every scene. You know, it's like he's he just you believe that he's this alcoholic, abused teacher who's just seen way too much, and he's checking out. You know, and so after that, you know, Norris goes out to his car, his car's all tagged up with graffiti, and he's he's not really broken by it yet i mean i would have lost my shit right like that's the first thing i at that point ah, that's when i would have broken instantaneously but he's much more a little bit more zen about it because he's like hey you know to the security guard he goes i thought this this was like a safe area and he's like security guard's like i can't be here you know can't be everywhere once basically but did you notice that on his car they spell teachers. Yes, T E E. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, like, that's okay, funny. These dudes don't know how to spell, which kind of makes sense, actually. Yeah, sure. So, uh, he goes home, and you find he, you're introduced to his wife, who turns out is the executive producer of the movie. Yeah. And what happens to her later in the film probably was a case of like, well, I'm doing it for the art. She seemed like the I'm doing it for the art kind of a person in, yeah. the, in the interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, we find out that his wife is pregnant, and. They're talking about how brutal the school is, and but he's like, life is good. Forgetting the fact that he got cursed out in his music class, threatened, some pretty hardcore stuff yeah, going he's, on. He's very... What's what's the term where you are very like positive about it? Yeah, like too positive. Yeah, it's he's way <laughs> too positive about this whole experience. He's, he's going to change the world. He, he thinks a, he's going to change the world. He ain't going to change shit. No, he's not going to change shit. Because if this is 82... <laughs> 
and we're in 2019, yeah. and this movie feels kind of relevant to a degree, nothing's been changed. No, it's, only, it's only going to get worse. That's why I'm not teaching anymore. <laughs> I don't blame you, buddy. No, it's a whole other story. <laughs> um, so after that, we're introduced back to Stegman's gang, and he's going for revenge against uh, JoJo's gang, who's the rival gang at the school. Little cheesy battle ensues with clearly plastic pipes where they're beating the crap out of each other, and it, it, it just... I don't know. It it worked on one level because you're like, okay, it's a little brutal, but then it gets a little weak with the with the with the plastic bats, and then you know, yeah, get, it, cops show up and they disperse. And I, but I did love JoJo said, "I'm going to cut you white meat." Yeah, that's, that, <laughs> that was enjoyable. <laughs> I, I laughed at that. But yeah, that that little fight scene was it was serviceable. It did the job for the story. I think it showed that they are capable. Our antagonists are capable people, which is cool. That's cool with me. It was an emotional ride for me with the antagonist because with Stegman, I was, yeah. yeah, with Stegman because I, I sometimes I felt like yeah I kind of dig where they are and then they do horrible shit and I'm like ah oh, I don't really you know side with them now but I don't know there was something likable well, about yeah, them I think I think up until this point the movies I had seen um, dark like horror or or dark drama films the the and the bad guy always kind of looked like a bad guy. He doesn't look like a bad guy. He looks like a sweet kid. Right. And and like I've said before, kind of cool and likable, you know. And then he pulls out this shit where you're like, wow, he's such an asshole. Like he's just an asshole. And as the movie progresses, you want to see him get some sort of comeuppance. But he doesn't every time. Like he keeps constantly doing the things where you're like, oh my God, I hate this guy. You know, not to use a well, I'm, I was going to use a Walking Dead reference. Yeah, I will. I'm just going to go there. Where, you know, the, the, the Negan character, you're like, oh, this guy deserves to get his shit. And then he doesn't. And it keeps going. You're like, when is he going to get it? But he really doesn't get it enough. This payoff is perfect. Yes. And in 90 minutes, it's a great way to like, it's a really great way to take you down that road where it makes total sense what eventually happens to all these characters. And it keeps you engaged. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. So after we're introduced to the gang scene... Now we're back at Norris's house and the gang shows up to mess with Norris. And it actually reminded me, turns out the director of this movie was a big uh, Clockwork Orange fan. Right. And the gang shows up at his house and they spray him with like red paint or something. Uh, but they, but they've got like disguises on like pantyhose over their head or yeah. something like, but it reminds me of Clockwork Orange in a way. Like, Cause at this point it's still all, Sort of shits and giggles. Yeah. There's not too much violence, you know. They squirt him in the face with stage blood. Okay. Yeah. There's a gang fight. Gang fights happen. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, okay, you're right. The gang fight, it's a different sort of thing. But I guess with Norris, you're like, okay, that's... Well, and I don't... No one died in the gang fight either. It didn't seem like... No, and the cops come and break it up. Yeah. To me, it was very tame at that point. Right. Because even though, again, like the harsh dialogue... Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're like, whoa, okay, that's intense. But it doesn't really, it still, again, feels like an after-school special. Yeah. The tone is very, and we're only like maybe 30 minutes into the movie at this point. If that. Yeah. It's pretty early on. Okay, so they take off. Norris is like, who, why did they do that to me? And his wife's like, oh, this is horrible or something. But they're not, I, I would be calling the cops at this point because you know who did it. It's very obvious. It's not like, gee, I wonder who just sprayed red paint in my face. But they go off to their dance club, their punk rock dance club, which I could be wrong, but there's another 80s movie called Tough Turf with James Spader. This club that they go to, and it might be different because that was shot in Toronto. I think this one was shot in L.A. They look identical. It's like a punk rock club. 
uh, there's a band that's playing, and, and, and apparently yeah, the, mod- the, the band's called like Teenage Head or something yeah, like that, which is the legit band. Yeah, and it's a legit club. It turns out. Yeah, the documentary. I I saw that part. I, I feel like Captain America. Like I got that reference. <laughs> yeah. um, that was the part I kind of just finished on the documentary. But apparently, that was all, a real band, a real club, and all those mosh pitters were real kids. And all the stuff that happens to our antagonists, the actors actually did that. Like, the, the kids were, like, throwing them around and stuff. I, I think they had a good time, but I think the director was getting a little worried that something, you know, might happen to his actors. But Yeah, it was a little too, like, meta. Yeah, you know, uh, but, he, but the on? crowd surfing part was, I think, like, improvised. Like, yeah. a lot of it was sort of improvised. But and it's great. It's very effective. It's like, you know, these are, you know, the debaucherous kids who are just going off. And it turns out this is Stegman's, like... This is his New Jack City drug haven. Yeah, where, he's kingpin here. Yeah, he's king shit, and uh, uh, drugstore is like shooting up heroin. <laughs> yeah, that was intense. That was, was intense. Like, okay. Yeah, and and you know he's got there's a uh, a kid comes in who wants to work for Stegman, and they're like, well, come back later and we'll talk to you or something like that, and and then a, a girl comes in and she's like, I want to work for you, and he's like, well, what are you gonna do for us? And and she's like, I'll do some hooking, and he's like, well, show me the goods, and that's our first like. Straight up gratuitous, not just boobs, but Bush also. Yeah, buddy, we're two for two right now. Heavy metal and class of 1984, boobs and Bush, baby. <laughs> the, minute, the minute I saw that, I'm like, oh, Corey's really going to enjoy this. Yeah, part. I perked up. I was like, hello, what's going on over here? And I was like, then I was like, these kids are high schoolers, man. Yeah. Like, this is wild. Do you think that they're not in high school? Like, they're not that age. They've just been sort of held back so many times. Are they maybe like 20 and they're supposed? In their in their high school, you know. No, I think I think they're, they're legit supposed like to be 17, 17. Yeah, seventeen, wow. maybe eighteen. I don't. Th- I think the girl that gets naked it probably is older. Right. That's assumed. I yeah. Think. But yeah, these are like straight up. You know, before kids was a thing. And, yeah. And 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 these are you know nasty kids doing some nasty stuff. And at this point, the only – I'd say the only of the goons that we don't really have too much to is uh, Barnyard. He's always just the muscle. He doesn't yeah. really have any sort of aspects to him. At least with the girl, you see she's a little crazy. She, like, goes and watches oh, yeah, uh, the guy totally have sex. The, yeah, she's yeah, into, Fallon, like, all yeah. the, the weird shit and everything. And her costume designs throughout the entire movie were fantastic. <laughs> I loved her costume designs. Well, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I love, I thought that I, I'm a huge fan of all things 80s. And while I wasn't a fan as a kid of like that punk rock, neon, um, you know, Depeche Mode almost looking type thing, this was very kind of gothic, punk, and it looks really cool. Stegman yeah. has some cool shirts too. He does, and I want those shirts. Yeah. He wears the same shirts a lot though. Yeah, they're these weird double button breasted uh, like tank tops. I don't understand it, but I like them all. <laughs> I like them, and I would totally cosplay that. <laughs> yes, <shit>. exactly, <laughs> dude. What if you cosplay oh Stegman from Class of nineteen eighty four? Wow, that'd he, be amazing. That would, yeah. I think we're on to something. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> so we cut back to the school where Arthur, Michael Fox's character, and Jimmy, his good buddy, are pulling up the flagpole. Foreshadow. Foreshadow. They're pulling up the flag for the flagpole. And uh, then, you know, we're back in the classroom with the orchestra class and everything seems kind of like it's getting ready. And Norris is like, well, we're going to be putting on a concert for for the whole uh, city and it's a really big deal. And I want you guys to get ready. And, it, and, and it's there's like crunch time. They don't have much time left. And Stegman comes in. This is a great scene, by the way. Stegman comes in and just starts being a jerk and pounding on the piano 
And Norris is like, you know, get out of here. And suddenly Stegman starts playing, legit playing a beautiful piece on the piano. And this is when I fell in love with Stegman's character. This is when I I even wrote that down. Uh, Let me see. My exact notes are, I love the villain. The movie became infinitely more interesting when uh, when you find out he plays piano. That that was my note right there. Of course, followed by all the kid villains have more body hair than any high school high schooler should. But I loved Stegman playing the piano. It added a whole new layer to him. It was fun. It was interesting. It made the movie a little bit better. Yeah, it it, it was. I I was expecting to hear a recorded track, and it wasn't. It no, was, no, they, they did a full-on shot of him playing. So he, the actor knows how to play piano, or yeah. at least he knows how to play that part. Well, he's listed in the credits as, as Stegman's piece or something like in, in the in the in the soundtrack. Okay, and it's I I guess it's his own piece that he composed for the movie. That's just really amazing, awesome, dude. Yeah, that's and then great. I mean, but we're we we are now Norris. We're now Norris's character. Yeah, I think it's and I think that was really cool too. He's such an easy protagonist to get into like we became we become his character going wow this this kid has redeeming qualities maybe maybe i was too hard on him earlier yeah and norris kind of opens up to him and he just shoots him down right away he goes like where'd you learn how to play and he's like do i get the fucking gig teach or something like that yeah you know it's it's and then you're immediately snapped back to this kid is a homicidal maniac yep. it's just because he's a good artist doesn't mean that he's a good person. I mean, that's a debate that goes on forever. Roman Polanski, like, oh, should yeah. should movies by him be still allowed into the AFI, yada, yada, yada. But Stegman turned out to be an awesome fucking villain. And right here is when I was like, that just, it sealed it for me. I was like, okay, you've, you've got my attention. Class of 1984, the movie, you have my attention now, <laughs> moving yeah. forward. I think at this point you're, you're realizing, okay, this is getting intense. And Norris, but Norris doesn't back down. He's yeah. like, get out of my classroom. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't cower to him. Yeah. Roddy McDowell's character, we don't see until later in the movie how he handles himself as a teacher, but you get the idea that he might not be as strong-willed as Norris. Right. Right. And so from that point, actually, it's a perfect segue to Terry, uh, Norris's buddy. Roddy McDowell is in the lab, in the science lab, playing with bunnies and all the different animals in there. And he's talking to Norris about how much he loves animals and how they're so gentle and basically waxing poetic on the fact that animals don't hurt each other like humans do. Cough, cough, foreshadowing, cough. (laughs) To the highest degree. (laughs) After that, Norris is on his hallway duty. At the same time, Michael J. Fox's character, Michael Fox. I'm just going to call him Michael Fox from now on. I mean, that's how he's listed. He <laughs> is Michael Fox in this movie. He's with his homie uh, buying drugs. He's not buying drugs. His buddy is. And, and, you know, Michael Fox is the voice of reason. Like, hey, man, why do you got to do that? That's not cool. And his buddy's like, no, I want to get high. What's the big deal? Then they're in the bathroom buying their drugs from Stegman's gang. Because, you know, Stegman's like, hey, a buck is a buck. A buck is a buck, teacher, teacher. Well, I like how drugstore is <laughs> really nice to them when, you know, and he's selling them the drugs. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, these, these are clientele. At the end of the day, you have to be nice to the clientele so they can buy more from you later. The customer is always right. And as Ben Affleck says in Mallrats, the customer's always an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Ben Affleck. That's the second uh, cl- uh, reference to, you know. 
clerks and mall rats we, we mentioned clerks earlier and yeah honestly i think i might be a bigger mall rats fan than i am a clerks fan but uh we may have to revisit both of those i think we day. might yes <laughs> so at that point norris comes in busts them uh the drugs can't be found kind of thing but norris kicks out the two goody goody kids uh michael fox and his buddy and they go outside and now jimmy well Yes, we we didn't really note that his buddy took the drugs. Yes, his buddy took the drugs, snorting profuse amounts of, which I'm I'm assuming is like either heroin or angel dust or something. So it's it's not cocaine. Uh, well, I'm like, would cocaine make you that? I guess it could make you that fried out of your gourd because he eventually he's so blitzed in and the next that might scene. be more of an angel dust sort of scenario I'm a, i mean i'm not a drug aficionado <laughs> yeah, i'm asking you like yeah. you know <laughs> let me go to drugopedia and uh, look at this up <laughs> but uh well in the next scene he's high off his gourd and literally yeah, he's literally, up in the air he's off the flag and he's climbing the flagpole that we saw earlier in the movie and reciting the pledge of allegiance the entire school comes outside and he finishes the pledge well, I think he gets like halfway through it and then falls off the flagpole, crashes to the ground, cracks his skull open. He's dead. I thought he was going to fall on the fence. Oh, yeah. On the, the spiked fence. Oof. That's so, so the violence later, I was not expecting because this violence was what I was expecting. Not too extreme, kind of happens off camera. You don't see too much in the way of gore. I thought, okay, this sets the precedent of what the violence is going to be for the rest of the movie. Cause it's also not that much different than the Jojo fight scene. No, I mean, so, it's, it's shocking, but it's not gory. Exactly. Cause it's still technically a kid, even though again, J- Johnny, Jimmy looked like he's 50. Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah he's, and he's got kind of like a New York accent. I love yeah. that too. And clearly they only got him and because pledge allegiance to the flag. Yeah. They, they hired him because he could climb a pole. Essentially, you know, that yeah. was probably the only mandate must be able to com- climb a pole. You don't have to look like you're 16. Anywhere between 16 and 38 <laughs> is fine. He's a toehead. You know, he's yeah. blonde, so it's all good. <laughs> but I thought the movie was going to be a lot less violent overall because of it. Yeah, and I was, and you know, at, at, at that point, you're like, it's 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 still kind of in that range where it's not gotten too deep yet, but it's getting there. And the it's like violent adjacent like yeah. it's nothing you can pin on <laughs> like on the, the the kids yet no the, the no. antagonists because uh, you know, prior to that scene norris is in the principal's office with the kids and he's trying to convince the principal what had happened the principal's like well they say no it didn't happen and he's kind of like this uh he's just a doofus yeah he's like well this, my hands are tied and i can't do anything there's there's a through line even with the the detective later on everything it's is wiki. is about you know, where's the proof? Show yeah. us the proof. And then, of course, that he spins it later on Stegman, yeah. you know, which is, is funny and enjoyable. That's a good sort of payoff. Yeah. But there is this theme of, like, the adults have to work within these parameters of proof, whereas even though we all know what's happening, we have these rules. Yeah. And that's what keeps us from being animals. Well, I think that's what gets us as an audience legit pissed because we are Norris and we're watching and going... But yeah, but he did do this. And Norris is getting progressively more angry at what's going on. Jimmy dies. Norris tells Arthur, Michael Fox's character, he's like, you got to say something. And he's like, well, I can't say anything. I'm going to get jumped, you know. And Stegman sees them talking and he's like, oh, that little rat. You know, he thinks they're gonna, he's going to rat him out or whatever. And that kind of builds to a later scene. But this idea, like, there's nothing that can be done at, at, up until this point. Right. 
So, like I said, from that point, they see Arthur talking to Stegman, and they're like, or it's Arthur talking to Norris, and Stegman's like, you know, we're going to have a little chatty-waddy with, uh, (laughs) I love that line. I love, he's got these, like, stupid, like, baby talk words that are really lame, but they kind of work, you know? Yeah. We're going to have a little chatty-waddy, Arthur. Everything about Stegman words, for me. I, I, I love him. I've already said that. I'll keep saying it throughout the rest of the podcast. Everything about him works. He's work, and, and so Arthur or Artie Farty is with uh, Deneen, <laughs> and they run him down a hall, uh, down an alleyway in the in the city. I think they pretty much use that same area quite a bit for this movie. Agreed. And at that point, uh, Norris is with Terry, his buddy Terry, Roddy McDowell's character, and they they see what's going on and they go check it out, and then they try to break up the fu- break up the fight, but Norris gets uh, you know hit in the head. And and his buddy Terry gets knifed in the hand. Yeah, like, it, it wasn't the best choreographed fight scene. I feel like it had that vibe, that late seventies, early eighties vibe of fight yeah. scenes. It's very West Side Story. Like, yeah. hey, let's go kick some ass. Yeah, come on. But yeah, it, it, the stakes were still high because now we're starting to see the things are getting elevated, or, or I'm sorry, escalated a little bit. And Roddy McDowell's character Terry gets his hand cut, so you're like, okay, all right, we're we're starting to wade into waters that are a bit more dangerous than we might have suspected at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and Norris Norris is a straight up badass at this point because he stands up to the entire gang. He's yeah. not afraid of any of them. And then all this still goes down. He's like, you know, we got to do something about this and. Roddy's character, Terry's like, no, I just want to get home to my wife, Ellen. And, you know, everything's fine. Don't worry. Well, I, lo- I love how Roddy McDowell says, she'll patch me up. Because he's like, don't take me to the hospital. The hospitals yeah. are going to, the cops will ask what happened. Then we'll have to tell them. He's like, but take me home. Ellen will patch me up. <laughs> she will patch me up. And I'm like, and that's when I did write down that Roddy McDowell is a little bit too much, I think, for this movie. I think his acting is a bit too much here. And I know you love him because I know you love. Uh, I just love him Fright because Night. of Friday Night. I know you do. And in that movie, his overacting is on purpose, or it fits the character it very is on well. Yeah. And and in Planet of the Apes, you need it to. He needs that overacting because he has to emote through the prosthetics. Yeah. Here, I'm like, he's still doing the Roddy McDowell overacting, but he's he's human, and I'm like, yeah, he just doesn't play normal human that well. I no, think. I think I I would have loved, you know, he died many moons ago, but yeah. I'd love to like meet him or something and just know his process because he definitely has a a very specific way of acting. You he's, know? He, I'm sure he's got a theater background, doesn't yeah, yeah. he? He's a it's big theater pretty guy. Ob- yeah, yeah, pretty it's obvious. Pr- <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> he, he enunciates everything perfectly. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, we cut to Norris going home, and he's in bed with his wife, and he's talking about his day or whatever. And, and it's wait, like, wait, before you get yeah, into yeah. what happens, can I say my note here is, because I, I, I didn't know his name was Norris, so my note is, the main teacher dude has less body hair than the kids. <laughs> I was obsessed with body hair in this movie. I kind of obsessed with body hair in movies in general anyways, because I'm like, this was not a time when dudes were shaving their yeah. chests. And I'm like, how does that guy not have body hair? Is that a thing? Well, I don't have any body hair. Like, I have okay. no hair on my chest or my back. So, But my arms and my legs are super hairy. So I have the, <laughs> the reverse T-shirt, I guess. You know, like some people have like, that the, hair reverse, t- yes. the hair T-shirt where you take off their shirt and it's all hair. I'm the reverse. I have like a skin T-shirt on. <laughs> you have a skin T-shirt on. <laughs> and it's white as hell. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So the m- minus the body hair, uh, he, you know, he's like having a casual conversation. And you're like, wait a minute. 
you almost died in an alleyway. What's going on? And then suddenly, Stegman comes by and blows up his freaking car. Blows it to hell. Like, so bad. And (laughs) at that point, I wrote down, worst job ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love how he parks his car right on the street when clearly there's a driveway. Even though they don't focus on it, you can see that there's a driveway right there. Yeah. I was like, why didn't he just park in his driveway? Yeah, right? Right. Like, shouldn't he just keep it safe? But I guess he didn't think he needed to at that point after he got sprayed in the face with blood or fake blood. And then, you know, and he's he's like, finally he realizes, okay, Diane, you should be, that's his wife, uh, you should go to your mother, your mother's house and stay with her and. And, uh, she, and, you know, they're having, like, an argument because she's like, you should come with me. And he's like, I can't. We've got the concert or whatever. Yeah. She's like, I just don't understand you anymore. And you think about what ends up happening later, and you're like, oh, boy, did he feel guilty about what all the things that ensued after this? I hope he does. I hope he does because, yeah, he probably should have. Because at the end of the day, he could have just left and been done with it. Yeah. I guess you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to feel his – his enthusiasm for teaching, you're supposed to feel his enthusiasm for the the good kids. Yeah. Michael Fox and Mullet Girl. You're supposed <laughs> to feel his She's great. Yeah, his his love for them. I don't feel like you we got that at this point. He wasn't there long enough. I don't know, maybe if he wasn't new to the school and he had some kind of bond with these teaching kid these kids. But then you couldn't do the whole like sort of introduction yeah. to the school with with him being new. But I don't know. I didn't feel like he had enough reasons to put his wife in danger. No. I wouldn't put my wife in danger no for a job that's like what like three weeks new. Yeah, and and the idea is like he's gonna get full time. This is like a temp job, basically. He got. Well, he, I mean, all teachers are, are always shooting for ten year ship, aren't they? Well, Isn't that what the goal is? But I get the sense like he's coming in mid year. You, well, right, oh, yes, because he is, talk be, about that. Yeah, actually. He is coming in mid-year. He's replacing the the teacher that was already there. Yes, so he's, he's glorified substitute with the hopes that he'll, if he finishes out the year, he'll get the job. Yes, he'll get the job. Yeah. And whatever happened to the teacher who got killed beforehand? Who knows? Right, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, he he's at this point now. After all that's gone down, it's time to go to the cops because he's got a legit crime. His car's blown up, and he talks to. I, I didn't write the name of this actor down, but he's he's like a classic 70s or eight, early 80s, you know, detective-looking character, all grizzled, and Stuwinski, you know, is his name. And, and Stuwinski's like, there's nothing you can do. You know, this goes down all the time. The kids get off scot-free. And apparently, uh, and they talk about this in the little mini-doc, the, the this line of dialogue that they have back and forth about that there's nothing you can do for these kids and then there's nothing you can do to really punish them. That was a direct line from a parole officer uh, that the director had. Oh, okay. Where he's like, no, this is this is how it goes down. Like, there's nothing you can do, and these kids will be out, you know, the next day or whatever. Um, so Norris is feeling like, oh, shit, I guess my life is screwed at this point. You know, there's nothing, nothing we can do about it. And then he's back to school the next day. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got to work, buddy. You got to make money. And they come into school, and it's like it's almost like the beginning of the movie where Norris is coming in through the metal detectors, and he sees Terry Corrigan, and he's like, "Hey, how's your hand?" He's like, oh, "I'm doing okay." Blah blah blah. And the security guard comes up, and he's like, uh, "There's a problem in the science lab. Can you come take a look?" Very casual about the whole thing. And then when they get up there, 
Every animal that was living in the science lab is now slaughtered and skinned, and there's blood all over the place. And fun fact, or not so fun fact, they use legit dead animals for this. They went down to like the animal control uh, morgue and got real animals. The uh, set designer splashed the blood all over the place, so it's legit real blood. It had been sitting, so when they go in, the smell, I guess, was just you know grossing everybody out. Roddy McDowell's performance, yet again, is phenomenal. That was the best performance. So believable. Yeah. Because he's so shocked. I mean... I would have lost my shit too. Yeah, because it's, I mean they're skinned like they're skinned. skinned rabbits, and I could tell that I was like, oh, that's that's real meat right there. Because you know, like the amount of detail you'd have to put into that one scene for just to create that one skinned rabbit, I was like, that's a real rabbit. I know it's I real rabbit, tell. and and I, you know, I think part of me was like, I get it. Uh, I, I was thinking back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. in, the, in the final in the 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 the, the, the feast scene where they used real rotten corp, rotten meat or whatever. Look, it's intense. It's it's effective. Yeah, and that scene was shocking. Yeah. Um, I don't think this movie needed that. No. But I did take a note at that point. I go, the kids, these kids are evil. Yeah. And that's when it turns and that's when I realize that there is no connecting with these kids because no. I thought that at some point maybe just maybe uh, Stegman was gonna like make a turnaround and maybe he would be against his team. You know, I, I, honestly, I was rooting for him because I liked him and that's a like you said earlier, that's a fantastically written villain right there. Totally. And at this point in the movie, that's when I realized, okay, there is no redemption for these characters. These characters are bad. Yeah, they're they're and. It's tricky because I look at kids and I think being a former teacher and thinking there's got to be redeeming qualities to these guys. But at that point, I'm like, no, they can all die Yeah, <laughs> because of all that stuff that went down. And I love how the the principal is such a douche because he just comes in and he's like, this act of vandalism. I'm like, no, it's I know it's an act of vandalism, but it's also murder. Like, yeah, it's, it's really messed up. It's vandalism on paper, but it's so much more <laughs> yeah. than that. So Norris finds Stegman in the bathroom, or he, he he finds him and he pulls him into the bathroom. Probably not the best thing to do, because of, we're about to find out why. And he's you know wants to beat the shit out of Stegman because we all do at this point. We we're all like, dude, beat his you, face just, you know what? He blows up your car. He he you, you know he kills all these animals. This guy is a shit. And and Stegman just looks at him. He's like, "Oh, teacher, teacher, this is you gotta hit me." And he doesn't. And he's like, "Yeah, I didn't think you had it in you," or something like that. And then he proceeds to just beat the crap out of himself by throwing himself into the mirror, uh, hitting himself. On, it's great sound design, by the way, because it sounded really real and it looked really real. And he smashes his head into the glass, into the mirror, uh, the, the 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 sink, and he's about to do more damage when you know Norris is finally like, "Stop." And he blames it all on Norris. Yeah. And the and the security runs in and just sees that Norris has got blood on his hand because Stegman put it on there. And what's he going to do? Pulls him into the principal's office. You know, principals yell at him. Like, and the cop's there at this point, Stuwinski. And and he's and the principal doesn't believe a word he says. Because I, in, in, in a sense, yeah. He's like, I'm not going to believe this crazy story. Okay, I get that. But again, we're Norris and we're like, well, how can anybody believe that? You know, that that I did this. I'm such a good guy. That was a great scene, man. That was Stegman beating himself up like that. The actor 
when he went, he went mirror, then hand dryer, hand dryer. So both those hand dryers were fake. And then he went uh, sink. And I was like, he uh, if the physical acting that he was doing, I was scared for the actor that he was going to hit his head on something that wasn't breakable. I was too. And that's, again, sign of great acting because I was completely pulled into it. Except for when he was about to hit himself on the, the pole, you could tell that the actor was waiting for the other actor to save him, you know, yeah. to, to not let him. It was a hit. little delayed. That one was. But up <laughs> until then, when he was doing it on his own, it was fantastic. I was completely engrossed in, in the whole scene, and I'm I'm completely along for the emotional ride at this point. This I am sucked in at this point. Yeah, so at this point, you know, Norris is like, decides to go to Stegman's home, which be, I, I don't necessarily understand why, because it's like, why would you... Uh, he goes there to talk to the mom. It's, it's a reason with the mom. Yeah, the mom. Okay. That's honestly that's the next thing I would do. That, it makes sense to me. Yeah, I guess it does make sense. And 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 so we cut to Stegman, who pretty much looks back to normal, yeah, laying on the couch, laying on this couch, laying on this, this like dope spot. apartment. Dude. Yeah, and, and, and like, this, like really nice looking apartment, and his mom's getting all dolled up to go out. And and I feel like stereotypically, like if if this were say I don't know like a RoboCop movie, something that came out like in '88. You would go back to Stegman's house, and he would be living in a shithole, and he would be like, you know, they yeah. would have like a hideout or something. But this, I thought, was interesting. You got to see that he had a mom that, yeah, she might be blinded to things, you know, like obviously, but she's going to defend her son. You get that. Even I, though he's a piece of shit and he's a sociopath, she doesn't see it. Although I thought her titties were going to fall out when she was bending <laughs> over talking to her kid, her kid who looks you know five years younger than her. Yeah, they could uh, be, you know, yeah. they could be lovers. <laughs> But uh, I, lo- I real quick, I love how in like the early 80s, like a 35 year old woman is the mom and then like a 29 year old guy is the son actor wise. Yeah. Know? Yeah. There was definitely a disparaging uh, yeah. gap. The age the age gap was not was way smaller than it than it should have been. Yeah. You know, and, and I think you made a really good point about the fact that they seem to be living in a pretty affluent area. And this kid is privileged, like he possibly privileged, single parent, maybe. But yeah, this idea that if, if he was living in a shithole with like an alcoholic father and a mother who was always out hooking or whatever, that would make sense. You'd have more sympathy for him. Right. But the fact that he's sitting on the couch, he's watching Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, the Mark Lester's, you know, earlier movie that he made with Linda Carter with Linda Carter. Yeah. I recognized that. I was like, how I was like, okay, I've never seen Bobby Joe and the outlaw, but I recognize Linda Carter in it. And I was like, how do they get the rights to this? And you find out later he, he directed that one, the director of this one, right? Directed that. Yeah. He directed that. And it's kind of like a, uh, there was a Spielberg movie that's very similar. Kind of like that. Um, Oh, uh, the duel. No, no. Oh. It, it, um, what, uh, uh, Goldie Hawn is in it with, um, William Atherton from Ghostbusters and something express. Um, Are we talking about Spielberg? Stuff? Yeah. Spielberg movie. It's, oh, okay. it's an early Spielberg. It's the second movie he did after duel. Okay. No uh, shit. But this like Bonnie and Clyde kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyways, it's worth checking out and Wait. it's worth checking out specifically for, is this the one where Linda Carter shows her boobs in it? Yes. Ah, that's if, why I know this movie. If you want to, Wonder Woman, you know, dude, I love Wonder Woman. Her and Pam Greer were my, Two crushes growing up. Like my two biggest crushes were Wonder Woman and Pam Greer. Did the Wonder Woman movie or the show, when did that come out? That was after this movie because she's okay. way younger in this. She's she looks like she's in her early twenties. Right, right. But in You hope she is because otherwise she'd be too young. Yeah. So but 
that movie came out like the so the Linda Carter movie that they show in the class of 1984 is called Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. All right, so class of 84 came out in 82, so that one came out in what 79, 80. Yes, and then when Wonder when did Wonder Woman come out? Like 83, 84, early 80s, I think. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, Bobby Joe and the Outlaw was it might have actually been even longer ago. Um, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I'm looking up Wonder Woman right now. This makes for riveting podcasting. Oh, he did stunts also. Stunts oh, shit. Cool. Wonder Woman was 75 to 79. Oh, Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. Okay, so, so you're asking when Bobby Joe and the Outlaw came out. Yeah. That came out in 1976. Okay, and so she went right into Wonder Woman after that. Because that came... No, no, that came out in 75. So she was already doing Wonder Woman when Bobby Joe and the Outlaw came out. So she probably filmed it. She probably filmed Bobby Joe and the Outlaw with the nudity right before Wonder Woman. And then filmed the Wonder Woman pilot and everything. And that got picked up a year right later. Before. And then boom. And then they probably released the Bobby Joe and the Outlaw right after Wonder Woman came out. That'd be massively fortuitous on their part. <laughs> yeah, it would be. And well, pro- <laughs> Welcome to the Bobby Joe and the Outlaw podcast, guys. We, we switched movies halfway through. And now we're going to be talking about this one because it has linda carter's boobies in well it. okay and, and and just to go back to earlier uh, just because it's on my brain and this is the way and you'll catch on with other episodes of this podcast the way my brain works is i fixate on something and i can't get off it until i know all the answers usually my my rolodex of memory can pull up something eventually but occasionally i have to go online and look it up william atherton and goldie hum were in the sugarland express that's the spielberg bonnie and clyde-esque type film Check okay. that out, too. Also very good. I've never seen that before. It's, Interesting. It's really good. Uh, but Stegman is watching that movie when Norris comes to the house to, to try to reason with the mom. The mom wants nothing to do with him. Stegman's putting on his whole mom. He's calling her mommy. Mommy, get him out of here. Goo, 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 you know? And, and Norris is like, what the hell is going on here? Your son is, your son is a maniac. You know, get out of my house or whatever. Nor it, it goes nowhere because she can't reason with the mom who clearly is totally into herself and doesn't care about her son, doesn't know what her son's doing, really. Uh, but then this is one of the moments where you finally get some revenge. You oh, finally get a moment. Scene. Love this scene. You get a moment where you're like, you know what? I'm so pissed off. And I, I'm sure people out there have, have wanted to do something like this. It's such a relieving scene, like tension breaker. Because at this point, nothing can be done to this little shit. You know, until he goes downstairs and finds Stegman's sweet ride, beautiful car. Oh my God. Knows how to hotwire it. I wrote that down. How does a teacher know how to hotwire a car? When I was a kid growing up, I think Terminator was the first time when I saw them like, oh, you just put two wires together and you click a button and it's, that's how you hotwire a car. Clearly can't do that now, I think. When I was a kid growing up, I thought A, quicksand was going to be a much worse deal than it actually is. (laughs) And B, at some point, people like adults just learn how to hotwire cars. Neither of those have happened to me. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, because I probably don't want to be in the situation where I have to hotwire a car. Either. Right? <laughs> but um, but I, I wrote down, uh, so he hotwires Stegman's car, proceeds to drive it directly into a wall. This car is cherry. It's sweet. And beats the shit out of it. Like what he probably wants to do to Stegman, but he can't. And he demolishes Drives it into a wall, backs it into a wall, smashes the sides, destroys this entire car. It is so liberating and validating for everything up to this point. You're just like, finally, 
And it looks like it probably hurt him in the process, but you know as well as I do, we've all punched a wall. And the pain that we get from it, it gives you a little bit of pleasure because you know that you did it right. Yeah. So I, I like that it wasn't safe. Like he just was like, fuck, and then you know <laughs> drove it into a wall. You could tell it kind of hurt himself a little bit, backed it up. I was like, you know what, That that's, that's real right there. Yeah. I, you wouldn't give a shit about your own safety if you had that – carte blanche to just go crazy on this kid's cherry ride yeah because because it if, if something slightly redeeming would have happened earlier then this wouldn't have happened yeah but no, at this they point needed, you're like nah. nah yeah at this point you this was so cathartic for the viewer i love the scene it felt great yeah so great and then the next scene is almost as good because stegman confronts norris at school and i wrote down Stegman's outfit is just really great in this scene. Yeah, that was <laughs> I think it's the button scene. It's, a, it's the open, it's like a sleeveless tank thing going on. With, with buttons and <laughs> kind of a lapel thing that's happening. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just glorious. This is my favorite Stegman outfit. But the great thing about this scene is, as satisfying as him, Norris, fucking up the car is... It's more satisfying that Stegman can't do anything about it. Yes. And even, you know, Norris is like, yeah, but what are you going to do? You know, like the fact that you could finally spin it around and use the same thing again. That's so satisfying. It's so satisfying. And I guess, you know, I think about movies like this that come out in the 80s and I think, could they remake this? And, and when I say I'm not a huge fan of remakes, I'm a fan of or reboots unless it's done with a love of the original, like case in point uh, or continuation, uh, Cobra Kai, you know, where they're like clearly love the original Karate Kid series and they're going to make it just as good, if not better. Um, but this so I look at movies like this and I think, could they remake this? Like the movie After Hours, which is a great cult movie where a guy's trapped in New York all night and he can't get home. In this day and age, everyone has a cell phone. I'm sure you could do it, but it just works better in that time. I look at this and I go, you know, every there's a clo- there's a camera on every corner nowadays somewhere. You know, I would think there's a camera is going to pick up on this, especially in an apartment complex. So they'd have to work around that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even make it this far because someone would have just recorded in the classroom. Like one of the kids yeah, would on have their just, phone. Yeah, would have recorded on their phone and you would have had your proof right there. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. But I'm with you. I actually felt like this movie was ripe for a remake. And I think I think this movie, <laughs> this movie's. I'm going to say something, but I don't know if I mean it to be as big as it is, but I think this movie is a little bit more important than it thought it was going to be. And I, I think agree. It, and I think it does deserve to be remade. It I, does. They, 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 they made a really crap. Uh, well, it's really campy. I almost said crappy. Um, sequel class of 1999. Oh, no shit. With um, uh, Malcolm McDowell, I believe is in that it's, it's, it's a Vidmark movie that came out in the, in the nineties you can bypass that because there's no connection. I agree with you. I feel like this should be remade uh, or even a series like a, because everything's a series. Now you could do 10, 40 minute episodes of this, which would really, because I feel like this movie is, it comes in a, in a nice clean, crisp 90 minutes. And wait, so was class of 99, the movie with Pam Greer as a robot teacher. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a loose uh, sequel to 84. I've seen Class of 1999. 
I've beat off to Pam Greer's prosthetic boobs in this movie. I want to do this movie at some point. Okay. I mean, as you're talking about it, I was like, that movie sounds familiar. I started IMDb-ing it. And as you're talking, I'm like, oh, my God, I recognize this fucking shit. Yeah. Now, the, the poster that they have uh, on IMDb is I don't recognize that. But it's I, not the original. I recognized Pam Greer. Yeah, I forget who they um, – gosh, the, 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 the lead – one of the lead actors, Sasha something, is in it. Um, and, and it's interesting, looking through these pictures for Class of 1999, I think this is what I kind of pictured Class of 1984 was going to look like. This looks very post-apocalyptic yes. school. Yeah, this is, this is definitely has more of a sci-fi, okay. futuristic edge. Well, the, guys, sometimes we may go on these, like, side tangents but there's a point to them and i love i this is honestly for me this is the reason i love doing these movies uh, is to pick up on these little side things that i had like no clue about class of 1999 and the fact that halfway through this movie i was like oh we're not watching class of newcomb high okay i get it we're gonna have to add that one to the list at some point too yeah this is still there's a there's a list of films um that i was jotting down that came out around the same time like that were high school teen drama movies. Um, Oh God, I'll come back to them later when we wrap up the episode, but But going through the eighties, they started having more of a sci-fi spin to them. It seems like, yeah, did this, that like there's a movie called over the edge, which is one of Matt Dillon's first movies. Okay. uh, That deals with kids growing up in subdivisions and how that became, uh, a, a haven for violence because kids had nothing to do to let out. So they just did drugs and, and they broke shit. Um, tough turf. And, um, you know, later on river's edge was kind of a, this idea of like, you know, grimy kids, like what's going on behind the scenes kind of thing. This having the teacher as the protagonist is a little bit different, but it's still that same idea of like kids gone wild, you know, but getting back to the scenes in the movie, you know, after Stegman is, can't do anything about its car just getting wrecked. Uh, everything's back to normal. And uh, Officer Winsky comes to talk to Norris, and Arthur is there, and uh, Stegman sees um, Michael J. Fox's character talking to them, and he thinks, oh, he's ratting me out. You know, that's, that's the problem, kid. And Which sucks because yeah, Michael really Fox's do. character never... He's actually a really fucking cool dude. Yeah. He never rats out the bad no, guys. He's like, look, look, I just don't want any problems, which I could relate to as yeah. a kid growing You don't, You don't want to be hassled. You don't want to get beat up. And he's just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And this continues into the cafeteria in the next scene where the, the guy earlier in the movie that wanted to work for Stegman's gang, they're like, okay, you're going to be part of the gang now, basically using him as a patsy. They give him a knife. They tell him who to cut or gut, and uh, you know a big riot ensue, a food fight riot. In well, the- it, no, I mean it's, it's a real riot, it's fucking a full-on. Uh, barnyard, the the hairiest high schooler in the world. <laughs> he he starts this fight, and yeah, and fucking Michael Fox gets shanked like a prison, like straight up like a prison shanking, dude. Straight up shanked, and everybody sees it. Everybody sees it go down, including some guy who has a mustache and looks like he's <laughs> like. Th- 40 years old like that's a high school kid there's a there's a great shot when you're watching the movie you'll, you'll see what i'm talking about he's got like a bowl cut hair with his big mustache and i'm like i've known dudes in high school that have mustaches not that thick yeah. <laughs> but yeah michael fox gets shanked and you think he's dead i thought he was dead yeah turns out he's not thank god 
because they cut to the next scene and they're in the hospital and he's got like a ruptured spleen or something like that. I, yeah, I, I didn't or, write it down. but Yeah, I think uh, pierced kidney or something like this. Yeah. Something, something bad, but yeah, he's not dead. He's That's not good. dead, and Stuwinski's like, there's nothing I can do, you know? Yeah, yeah. But Norris is like, no, this was Stegman. He's like, yeah, we got the guy. We're going to get the guy, but, you know. and, and it, But yeah, you can't prove it, you know? Yeah, you can't prove what went down because it is what it is, you know? And Norris, again, is like, Rah! So Just, what does he do? He goes and has a barbecue with Terry. Yes, you know, of course he does. In, in the park. Yeah. <laughs> Where the, the wives are talking. You know, oh, this is so... Terry's wife had the worst hair I've ever seen in my entire life. She did. She had, and like... was she British? She I wasn't British, know. but she called her husband, like, chap or something. And I'm like, are you implying that... What, do you use British lingo because he's, your husband's, you know, got a British accent? Yeah, I, I didn't quite get their relationship. She she was not attractive at all. And Rodney McDowell <laughs> is not unattractive. To, as much as he overacts, he's not an unattractive guy. No. But he was making love to that, uh, what was it, rum and coke or whatever the hell it was. But he was doing, he was doing. <laughs> making the, the, love to the rum and coke. <laughs> he was doing like that actor's thing where yeah. you, you drink it and you look at your drink and you, you wonder what you just did to your life. Like he was doing that whole acting thing. You well, know? in the and it's funny because the director um, talks about that scene specifically. Oh no shit! Yeah, and saying how because uh, Roddy cries on cue after this every after the same line every time, and they will cut take after take is the same. He's crying every single time, and the director's like, you know, Roddy, how did you do that? And Roddy's like, well, I looked at the script and it says cry here, so I'm going to cry. And he's <laughs> like, that's really prepared and i'm like wait that's called acting like that's worthy of an academy award it's really it's a great scene because clearly terry his character terry is having a meltdown understandably so all his favorite pets got slaughtered so it makes total sense but like you know it's a it's a normal scene like i could see anybody doing that kind of thing but i guess he was you know he's in love with roddy mcdowell so roddy's having a meltdown and uh i think what does he say like uh you know, I can't get through this or he just, I forget exactly what he says, but it's, it's, it's a very powerful moment for Roddy's character. Yeah. Cause he, he can't deal with it anymore, which I guess it comes back to what he said was when he saw the dead animals, he was like, I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, he just like walked away and like, that's you, clearly you're not. You yeah. Know? So this is kind of like a callback to that of him being like, he's clearly not okay. No, he's not. And yeah. then we're about to find out just, how bad, just how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. Because we go back to school. Because, you know, I guess it's the weekend. They're having a barbecue. Back to school, and Norris is having a great symphony practice, and he tells everybody at that point, you know, uh, you're, we're going to put on a great show. It's, the the show's going to be fantastic, and everyone's happy. And suddenly he finds out that uh, his buddy Terry is losing his shit in his classroom. And this is a very intense scene. I I enjoyed this scene a lot. I didn't know what was going to happen, truthfully. I didn't either. It, it's... And I think going back to what we what I said earlier about the guns in school, you know, I, in Florida, they're like, oh, everybody should, every teacher should have a gun. Like, this is a perfect example of what could go wrong if every teacher has a gun. Yeah, I should never own a gun. I should never be a teacher. And yet, <laughs> and yet, I was a substitute teacher back in Maryland about 16 years ago before I moved out here. Worst gig I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. I had to be a substitute teacher at a middle school. Never taught a kid in my life. First day of 
substitute class. I gave the entire class detention. I don't know if that teacher. <laughs> God, I don't dude. know if that teacher followed through on that. But wow. and then you had to wake up at like five a.m. and call in just to see if maybe you had a job. Oh my Needless God. Yeah. to say, I only did it twice. <laughs> okay, well, fortunately, you didn't go down this route because Terry's got a gun and he's pointing it at the whole class. Stegman's gang is all in there and he's teaching them. He's having a normal teaching lesson class. And, and uh, the principal's like, I'm going to call the police. And, and Norris is like, no, don't do it. And, you know, let me see if I can diffuse the situation. And, and, and the security guard, there's a great scene where he, the security guard's like, I'll back you up. Mm-hmm. And he pulls out his gun. <laughs> you know, like, wait, oh, my God. What's going to go down right now? And it's great because uh, Terry, uh, Roddy's character, Terry, is pointing the gun at every one of the gang members, asking them a question. And they're all terrified, pissing in their pants. Answering the questions, drugstore answers this question correctly. The the girl, Pouty or Petty or whatever the hell her name is, she answers her question correctly. And then he gets to Stegman and puts the gun on him. And Stegman just freezes up. But he kind of has an asshole look on his face like, I'm not going to answer you. He's still scared, but at the same time being a dick about it. He was he was a little bit defiant, but at the same time scared. Knowing yeah. that yes. I felt like again, this is fantastic acting on yeah. the on the actor's part. Agreed. But I felt like he, he had to stand his ground and be the alpha but he knew that he had a ten percent chance of living. Yes, like he he, especially when the guy cocked the, the the hammer back, cocked the hammer back. But at that moment, Norris comes in, holds, tries to convince him not to, holds the gun up, gun goes off, crowd freak, class freaks out, and you're thinking, you know, and then Roddy's having his meltdown and crying, and you're thinking, okay, this guy's gonna go to the hospital or he's gonna be go home with Norris. He just leaves. On his yeah. own. And they let him leave on his own after holding a gun up to everybody. Like, okay, well, no one died, so I guess he can go home. This, like, just jumps right into the next scene of Terry being in his car outside of Stegman's club. I'm just going to call it Stegman's club. Yeah, it, it is Stegman's it, it is. club. His drug haven. Yeah. His new Jack City drug haven. And, um, and finds the gang and decides to, like, mow them down with his car. Because he's drinking at this point. Yeah, and the way he drinks, guys, <laughs> oh it's like he's sucking on the tip of a cock <laughs> on that on that beer bottle. And I wrote down, I go, Rodney McDowell drinks beer like he's never drank beer out of a bottle before. Rodney McDowell, <laughs> I love that. I love that dude. Yes, uh, yeah. I mean, I I can't speak from experience, but I could tell you that it was uh, he loved his alcohol. <laughs> he did. Well, it was the only thing that didn't give him grief, probably. probably. So, uh, so he tries to mow down the gang. Ends up crashing his car and it explodes in a blaze of glory. Mm. Like it's a great explosion, actually. Uh, and that's all she wrote. And that's Terry. all she wrote. Terry's done. They cut to the funeral the next day, and like it's it's almost like again. I think going back to this being a, if this was a television series, you could really draw out these scenes a little bit more colorful because it's a quick ninety minutes, and it's almost like they had to they had to jump to the next scene. Like oh, we got to get to the finish. We're we're halfway there because I think at this point we're like more than halfway done with the movie. Um, go to the funeral, and his wife is like, we got to leave. <laughs> his, vo- his wife is the voice of reason. And he's like, no, you know, you can you go, but I'm going to stay until after the concert because I promised these kids, it's these kids I got to live up to kind of thing, you know? And his wife's like, I think she decides to stay until after the concert too because you know, we'll see it through. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, this... Really? After all that went down? And it's funny that in this movie, my biggest problem is trying to find Norris's motivation. Yeah. 
it's I feel like they put a lot more into the antagonist than they did the protagonist. I would like to have known maybe what, something about his history maybe i don't know man maybe they had a kid that like was killed by bullies or something i don't know i feel like there should have been just an extra piece to make me understand why he cares about these kids so much yeah maybe this was his last shot at having a full-time position or something like that but there wasn't enough motivation to stay like no i get it he cares about the kids but those kids aren't you know Nothing like we talked about. Nothing's gonna get solved with him staying there. Yeah. Uh, well, some things get solved, but so what ends up happening is uh, Norris goes to the hospital to check on Arthur, uh, Michael Fox's character, and he's all he's good. He's getting better, but he doesn't want to talk. He still doesn't want to talk and, and give up anybody because you know uh, he's living by the code. But he does. He eventually kind of gives him up after Norris gives him a pep talk. He's like, okay, this is this is what happened. And they think they've got the kids. But Stuwinski, you know, is at the precinct talking to Norris. And he's like, they're going to get off. you know, Because they got the one kid. They got the they one kid. They didn't get uh, Stegman. They only got, they got the, Patsy. the Patsy kid. Yeah. And I think Patsy is the name of the girl. But uh, that's <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, you know, and, and, and at this point now, Stuwinski's like, you better watch your ass. Because Stegman's going to come after you. And it's a kind of a cool moment because... This is when there were other like exploitation revenge movies back in the day, Vigilante, um, The Exterminator. All those movies came off of um, Death Wish, right? Death Wish. Yeah, that's kind of the quintessential revenge movie. But they all kind of had this idea of like normal kind of dude who finally gets pushed to the extremes and then can't take it anymore. And we're getting so close because Norris is like, well, shit, you know. I'm just going to go do my thing. And he does. They go, they cut to the concert. It's now the night of the concert. And uh, Norris is getting his kids ready. And at the same time, the wife is at home getting ready. And So I missed that it, she was going to go to the concert too? Yeah, she's, so, yeah. So my note is, why is she putting on makeup at 9 o'clock at night? At her mother's house. Because yeah. that's where she's going to go. Yeah, she said in, at the funeral, she's like, I'll stick around, basically. I'll right, and, and then when I saw her put on the outfit, and then I saw him looking into the crowd, I wrote down in parentheses, she's going to the recital. But I'm looking <laughs> at him like, she better hurry up, because that recital is going to start pretty soon. Yes. Or maybe, maybe there's like a suspension of time that we're not yeah. aware of. Um, but this is all Norris is doing, because I think he even asks her, he's like, just stick around to the concert, and then you can go. Um, bad decision. Because Stegman decides to invade their house. Like any good old vigilante exploitation film, the protagonist's main love interest, wife in this case, who's pregnant, gets gang raped by Stegman's gang. That's like brutally. Yeah, that's that's a brutal scene and it's not as brutal as like other rape scenes and i don't mean to sound insensitive but as far as like rape scenes like i spit on your grave goes it's not as brutal as that but every rape scene has like a baseline like it's a six out of a ten brutality yeah Yeah. like it it, it always has a baseline to it and i I, it's like it's weird because i'm like i want to take notes and i wanted i wanted to comment on how silly like stegman's face was when he was making (laughs) the thrusting sound yeah motions but i was like do I even bring that up? I like know. you know, it's it's weird, and I want to keep this in. I don't want to cut this because I feel like it is a a, a point of the, a conversational point that we should have. In that, in 2019, it's yeah, you don't really see rapes like this. Yeah, 
I guess in, in in a sense that you don't see rapes too much, they have a bigger sort of deal in the movie, right? And this sort of takes it a bit, I guess, blasé, just a little bit, just a smidge. Yeah. Although it, it is the catalyst. It is the catalyst for, for Norris to kind of do the last final thing, I guess. Yeah, cause, because Patsy's taking pictures of what's going yeah, on. And they're as all, proof of yeah. what's happening. And like you said, it's not as violent as, um, I mean, rape is just horrible in general. Exactly. But it's not as violent as I Spit on Your Grave, which is probably one of the, I, I can't even watch that movie. Or Last House on the Left. Last House on the Left, yeah. where it just keep, continues on. And I get the idea from the director's perspective. Like we want, they want you to show, they want you to realize how horrible this is. And I get that. It is horrible. I don't need to see it. Like, they, they show everybody with her. You know what? Like, honestly, you didn't even need to rape her. You could have just kidnapped her. Having her is enough, you know, to go with. You could even just take a picture of you, like, looking through a window and being like, I know where she is. I get it. The director really wanted to hammer it home. He wanted to hammer home what is coming up in the third and final yeah. act. And, and, make, and I guess to make it much more justified as to yeah. what Norris does later to yes. show that, okay, these kids now no longer have any redeeming qualities. And I mean, I don't know what it says, but yeah, the, the executive producer is the lady who, who gets raped on, yeah. on camera. <laughs> and so she knew what she must've believed in what it brought to the story. Yeah. And I think um, going back to the little mini doc, Perry King at one point, who plays Norris asks the director, um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the violence that is going to happen at the end of the movie. And I don't know if the director explained this to him, but I'm thinking, well, what happens to your wife totally justifies you going off the deep end and losing your shit. Yeah. Because what ends up happening from that point, the characters, while they're not raping her, they're using her makeup and putting on face paint and like getting ready for a battle. They end up taking their, her with them to the high school, sending Patsy into the orchestra to give the photographs that they took of her wife, of his wife, Norris's wife, to one of the high school kids, gives them to Norris. Norris sees them, like, freaks the fuck out. And then this is like three minutes before they're about to start yeah. playing. Like the, everyone's in there. Everyone's in the auditorium ready to listen to this band play, yeah. you know, and yeah. And side note real quick, uh, Patsy, what the, the female gang member yeah. antagonist, I loved her outfit in this part. She looked so, so cool. cool. Rock and roll. Yeah. Yep. So fucking cool, yeah. man. She looked like a super villain. She did. And, and, and actually like they all look pretty badass at this point. Yes. You know, agreed. Getting, I liked all of their makeup. Yeah. I like drugstore. He did an eye patch with yeah. her. And, and then, um, Stegman did an Adam ant sort of yes. red line across his front of his nose thing, which I really dug that again, dude, the antagonists make this movie. If you, if they weren't as, I mean, I hate to say fun, but come on, <laughs> we all get it guys you know, rape aside, they're, they're a fun group of villains and I enjoyed them, and I enjoyed their their last war paint. I like yeah. I like this ending. I love this climax. This climax is when I fell in love with the movie. Well, I think if this movie was like we talked about, what is either remade or rebooted, if they're going to make the antagonist so kind of likable in that way, maybe they end up not doing that scene. To the, who knows? Maybe who knows, man? But I, this we could go ahead. We, we could yeah we could I mean we could speculate. You know, at the end of the day, I think there's. I, there's. I don't ever want to censor something that a storyteller wants to tell. Yeah. 
I don't ever want to say you should never have rape in a movie. I just want it to be like, is this right for the scene? Can you do it a different way? I think I think rape is such a big deal that you can't take it lightly. In no, movies. and and I think in in yeah, I don't think you like neither of us mean that it's like a comical scene. It's just, it's kind of a bizarre. It's bizarre, you know. And and I think that's and and but it was necessary to like you said, it's necessary to move the the plot and. There was one thing that I noted during the rape was right right before they did it. Uh, shoot, what was what was the one guy named the unibrow guy that's kind of ripped? Oh, Fallon. Yeah, so Fallon he comes into the room, but he rolls over the bed and he lands his mark like he's perfectly in the frame. But that whole shot, there was a lead up to it. So I'm watching. I see him do that. I'm like, oh, good job, Fallon. But I start thinking, I'm like, oh. If he fucked that up, if the actor fucked that up, they yeah. would have had to reset that whole entire scene. And that scene started with with Stegman coming in. What I'm trying to say is that was a good shot. He did yeah. a good fucking job, like rolling over the bed and landing on his mark. He was a very physical actor. Every character was really kind of well defined, except for Barnyard. Except for Barnyard, yeah. yeah, yeah. But like well, but like well uh, drawn out. Like they, they, they. Again, hats off to whether it was Tom Holland who officially wrote the script or Mark Lester or whatever, or, or the casting director who found the right people for the job, the right people for the right, for the job. And and it, it was effective. Yeah. Um, and they stayed consistent the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Fallon's, you know, going to get a great scene in just a moment too. He, but, he uh, has my favorite death. He has the best death because so Norris at this point is, is has lost his shit and has now decided to, to, to get revenge on uh, the gang, Stegman's gang. And he's, he's, he leaves the concert hall, uh, Deneen takes over, eventually takes over to lead the orchestra because we go back in the beginning of the movie. She's the one who used to conduct all the classes. So it's like, oh, moment, you know, amidst the chaos. And, uh, and so Norris is going for revenge against everybody. Well, first he goes out and gets the shit beat out of him. Yeah, he, and, he gets fucked up. <laughs> and, and so and the gang, like, leaves him. They, they want to, they, they think, oh, we're just going to mess with this guy. So they beat him up a little bit, leave him. Beat him up, leave him, yeah. Yeah, they do it a couple times, and right? And the one time where they're in the gymnasium, and he's, like, sort of standing in the middle of the gymnasium, segment has got his wife up on the bleachers. Yes. And then the other two goons, I think it's Fallon and um, uh, Drugstore, they swing in on ropes. And, yes. <laughs> and my, my note is uh, that could have gone really bad for the kids. Uh, you know, like, there's a lot of ways that could have gone oh, bad it, for them yes. and not for Norris. <laughs> it could have gone really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 uh, at that point, when he sees his wife, that his wife is there, I think that's when he flips a switch. Yeah. That's... And it, he's no longer... Uh, a maniac, but now he's like a maniac with a mission. Right. And it's interesting because the school itself is so dark and everything is lit by emergency lights, which yeah. is kind of weird because I we've all been in schools after hours. They are never that dark. They're never that dark. It's, no. Especially when there's a function happening. Yeah. I can I, I get it. They're probably maybe that dark when it's three in the morning and no one is there. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it, it was a little bit, and that's what lends itself to being that horror element. So when you said earlier that the writer Tom Holland did, you know, uh, um, child's play and uh, all the other stuff. I was like, okay, that I get it now, right here. This yeah. is where I see the horror elements. But yeah, dude. Uh, after after Norris gets beat up and then uh, he learns his lesson the third time, I think he he decides not to go the way you can tell they want him to go. Yeah, now and, he lures them. And that's when he starts to fuck them back. Yeah. School's in session. Exactly. And first class of the day is woodshop. Exactly. <laughs> so my notes, though, 
he sucks at sneaking up on people. When Fallon comes into the room, you know, yeah. all quietly, and he throws the distraction uh, wrench the other way. Yeah, he had he had Fallon dead dead to rights. Yeah, he and could. he fucked it up completely. Yeah, he he did. Well, again, granted, he's a teacher, so he's not necessarily a you know he's not thinking with that mindset. I guess I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. But um, has a battle with Fallon and uh, turns the the uh, the table saw on. And hacks Fallon's arm off. I was not expecting that at all. And I was like, yes! It is It is a gloriously gory scene. That I think that's the scene where Perry King, the actor, was like, I don't know if this is the, the uh, too much for the scene. And my mind is thinking, after what just went down with your wife, nothing could make up for that. Like, you're going to go out all balls out. But I do see where the actor is coming from because at this point, the movie could have still been like a drama. It could have still been a lower stakes thing. And this last act, this climax, just it definitely takes it up into the exploitation category. It makes it much more fun. I mean, it, it could have been. It could have been a better movie as a drama, yeah. but it would not have been as fun as what it is at the end. Or or as um, standing the test of time. Right, exactly. Because, it, could have, it would have just faded away yeah. in, into obscurity. Because when people talk about this movie in the annals of history, they talk about like, oh, the, the third act is yeah. when it just goes bonkers. And I can, to- I can totally see, I was honestly like, I was enjoying this movie all the way through it, but I was like, I'm trying to put myself in Zach's like, nine-year-old shoes and, and besides the 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 80s boob and bush i was like what did zach really see in this oh here we go <laughs> yeah it it's in my opinion if you think about it texas chainsaw massacre a lot of horror films uh, are very similar in this way with the third act you've got this hour of just kind of melancholy drama and then the, the third act is when you just go whoa this is amazing. And that's what happens with this movie. And I'm uh, a big fan of revenge flicks, like yeah. the Hills have eyes and stuff. I love fuckback flicks. Yes, me too. So this, I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but it's good. Yeah. The collector, yeah. this, this was fun, dude. This was a lot of fun. And when he fucking puts Fallon, like on the table saw, yeah, he lifts and- him up and, like, he doesn't just hack his arm off, because I think Fallon at oh, that Fallon's point, like, I'm still going to fight you yeah. with one arm. I'm like, bravo to you, Fallon. He, clearly, you're in shock. Bravo, Ash. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. in shock. <laughs> he, he just drops him right on that fucking thing, man. <laughs> and the sound, like the... Yeah. The great sound design. Oh, great sound design. Weirdly, very good sound design in this movie. Yeah. Better than it has any right to be. Oh, no. I Well, when I, when I, when I found out the astounding fun fact that it was... They had a three million dollar budget for a nineteen eighty two film. That's a lot of money. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm no mathematician or or <laughs> money guy, uh, but I'm guessing that's what about almost ten mil nowadays, right? I would think, and 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 I mean, that's a that's a that's decent a lot of money. budget. Yeah, dude. I mean, we could make a good movie with ten mil. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Like if you think, I always go back to the Robert Rodriguez. So he filmed, you know, uh, El Mariachi for reportedly $7,000. And you're like, that's great. This, this, this better have, I bet the investors were like, you better spend that money properly. It better you know? all go up on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it, I guess it did because, you know, from there he, he goes to the auto shop. Next, yep. next class is auto shop where Barnyard and, um, no, no. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Drugstore. Uh, drugstore drunk comes in first. First. And that's a pretty quick death. He he, he fucking he burns him. He torches. Yeah, like you see, you see Norris kind of pouring gasoline on the ground. You're like, 
okay, he's going to light something up. Turns out he lights up uh, Drugstore. And I love, I even wrote it down where Drugstore... Oh, uh, shit. What does he yell? I think he yells, fuck you, as he dies. He does. But then he doesn't die. Like, no. He's, he's, like, alive when, when Barnyard and Patsy come in. And I'm like, oh, my, this is fucking insane, there, man. There's, 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 uh, there's moments in movies where where it, something shocking happens, and it just they, they take it up to a higher degree in Sleepaway Camp. Um, there's a scene where a dude... Well, there's a scene where a girl has a penis? Well, yeah, but but but... <laughs> That spoiler, <laughs> but uh, but the but the the chef, the pedophile chef, in that gets boiling water poured on him. They show like they show his hand, but then they do a close up shot on his face while he's sitting there like in pain, oh, and wow. they hold the camera on him for for five seconds. Which you think if you think about five seconds, that's a long time. They do the same thing with drugstore where they like hold the camera on him while he's sitting there crisping, and it's it's really hard to watch because he's still alive His and he's blinks. suffering. And I, wouldn't it be funny if that was the actor blinking by mistake and yeah. it just, but it adds a whole new layer to the oh, fact I think that it makes he's it still better. alive. It makes yeah, the scene makes more it, intense. Yep, it does. It makes it, it makes it better. Yeah. Yeah. Because at that point, big beefy, uh, barnyard, mm-hmm. barnyard just, just straight up comes at him. Yeah. And he's just like maniac. Cause his best buddy's been torched. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, it's actually a pretty quick battle too, because well, which is realistic if you think about it. If you Norris gets a wrench and he knocks him over the head with it and hits him a couple times, I don't think he's dead yet. He's just kind of knocked out. No, yeah, oh, he's not. Yeah, he's just knocked out because yeah. Patsy comes driving in with her car, yeah. to try to kill Norris, but she kills Barnyard instead. She kills Barnyard instead and herself. Yes. She fucking because she because Norris and Barnyard are underneath another car that's up on lifts essentially. Yes. Yeah, and so Patsy drives into so Norris jumps out of the way, but basically so Patsy drives into Barnyard and then knocking the car above her down onto her, crushes crushing her. yeah, crushing her, and then her fucking face is all bloody yep. and shit. But and she's whatnot. got enough life left to tell Norris where his yeah. life is. Yeah, up on the roof. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, that is fucked up, man. Yeah, it is. It, it, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a scene where, I guess, you know, you save the best for last at that point. Because Norris is like, I got to get to my wife. Yeah. You know? He's like, I, I got to rescue her and and i gotta get through these guys fast and he does like he pretty much obliterates them pretty damn quickly well i mean he is an adult fighting children so (laughs) i I would hope that he does obliterate them he's adult fighting children and at that point i think it goes back to how i was feeling in the beginning of the movie i'm like these are just kids like they're not supernatural they're just dipshit drug dealing kids and he demolishes them like that too and gets to the roof Find Stegman up there with teacher, teacher, with teacher's wife, and uh, you know he cuts her. The 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 stereotypical. I'm gonna just put a knife line on your baby. He you fucking know? cut her chest. Really? Like, that's gonna that's gonna scar. That's, that's gonna, gonna scar. Always. Be She's gonna there. have a Rambo scar. Yes, she for is. Sure. Yeah. She's gonna have a first blood part two Rambo scar. I was thinking more of a Billy scar from Predator. <laughs> okay, well that'll work. <laughs> you know, we're standing on the log and he cuts himself. <laughs> Billy died. So. Billy, no, no, don't do that to me. <laughs> uh, you know, and 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 and, and but Diane, she's kind of like she's kind of with it. Yeah. Like she's she's legit. Uh, you know, let's get this shit done. And, and Norris is like, I'm going to kill this guy. You know, Norris beats the shit out of the kid. And then uh, uh, real quick, of course, I noticed the setup right before this scene. Yes. They, they cut back to oh, yes. the band playing, you know, the, the concert. D- and Dane's doing a great job. 
she's fucking killing it, man. She's fucking conducting, and they do this slow pan up to the roof, and there's a fucking skylight up in the roof above the band, and I'm like, well, here, that's where where Stegman's gonna go. And, uh, dude, when he fights Stegman, of course, punches him through the glass. Well, okay, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Well, so, so... Yeah, at that point, he punches them through the glass. Right. And Stegman's hanging there. Yeah, he's hanging there. Because there's ropes, you of know, course. whatever, sure. for the for the stage. And Stegman reaches his hand, or uh, Norris reaches his hand out. Because Stegman's like, help me. I'm just a kid, Just man. a kid, man. Yeah, he, he, try, he goes back to what he sort of used on his mom, essentially. Which, yeah. I'm just a kid. It's, it's, it's recurring. He keeps sort of playing that card over and over, except yeah. he has the receding hairline of a... <laughs> 28 year old but um he's Worse. just a kid man he's I'm just, just a kid. kid man but in the meanwhile he's reaching for that knife he's reaching for that knife baby and i i wrote down and he, he makes a swing he makes a swipe at at, yep. at old old captain over here old norris old chuck norris old chuck norris she fucking cold cocks him right in the face it's such a great scene because he sm- <laughs> he hits the camera like he punches the camera and I, I have to point out that that was not the original ending. Interesting. And well, so Stegman, he gets punched in the face. Stegman falls, hangs himself in front of the kids. Yeah, the ropes wrap around yep. his neck, and he hangs right in top of the orchestra. Right in front of the orchestra, traumatizing all the kids for life. Yes. Yep. And, and the original ending was Norris was going to try and save him and reaches his hand out, and Stegman grabs his hand, and he pulls him up, but he slips, and he falls. Okay. And that's how he dies. Okay. Uh, I guess he tested that with an audience, the audience, and the audience is like, "No, not as satisfying." Yeah, and then he just dis- tested it with the distributor, and the distributor's like, "No, you you have this whole setup of this asshole kid. He has to get his comeuppance. You have to kill the kid." So he writes him a note. I guess he wrote the director a note. He's like, or the the director's like, "If I kill the kid, will you come back and watch it and see what you know?" And he goes, "If you kill the kid, I'll come back and watch it." So he reshot that scene of just the scene of. Uh, Norris there. punching the camera. Right. That's all he reshot. Okay, okay. And that's, that was the final scene. And, and he's like, I love it. It's great. That was great. And that's how the movie ends because they flash up a final title card where it's like, you know, Andy Norris was not prosecuted because the police could not find anyone who actually saw it happen. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Which is a tie back to everything that's been, been going on. It's, 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 that's a, that's actually good writing, honestly. It's I great. like that because, yes. At the end of the day, the shit that he, the red tape that he had to deal with helped him in the end. Yeah. I guess. It did. It did. It, it, it turned the tables, fully turned the tables. Yeah. It was like when he smashed his card, turned the tables on good old Steggy. Now, see, it's it's interesting knowing, too, that, that the ending was reshot because when you watch it, and this is my first time seeing it, Stegman swings at him, right, yeah. with, with the knife. He's hanging there. Stegman swings at him with the knife. And... Norris kind of moves out of the way fairly easily. Yeah. And you could just be like, if I were Norris, I'd be like, okay, just keep swinging the knife, buddy, and you're going to fall. Or drop, you drop the knife, and I'll fucking help you. <laughs> but Norris just straight up looks at the dude <laughs> great. right in the eye yeah. and fucking punches Bam! him. That's the same as if he just fucking killed him himself. Yeah, it's he, great. He wasn't even trying. He just fucking punched him. Because it would have, I feel like it would have, it's a whole different thing if, and you've seen it a million times in movies, Stegman reaches for him to hold him. They grab hands. Stegman slices him, but then Norris lets go because he got sliced, thus Stegman sort of causing his own death. Yes. Here, 
Norris basically just is, is out of harm's way and decides no. to just punch him in the face. No, you yeah. don't get to live today. Exactly. <laughs> Which, again... I love it. It makes this movie, I think, stand up in 2019 much better than if it played it safe. Agreed. Yeah, it, it, it definitely... It definitely does that. It 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 it, uh, it solidifies it no longer as just like a typical drama, but in like a revenge exploitation film. It puts it in a different category yeah, for this, sure. This last this last uh, act put it in a different category, and I loved it. Watching it again after not not seeing this film in years, yeah. It it I said this is a uh, an R rated after school special. It it is. It's so great and. There are some shocking scenes, so if you are, you know, appalled by stuff like, you know, rape and 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 animal killing, like if it's not for you, maybe not your cup of tea. But it's it holds up, and it, like you said, and and we talked about, it could easily be remade. It's very relevant. You think of all the violence that goes on. You think about, man, uh, it makes everything makes sense in the movie to me. I loved it. Two thumbs up. Man, I'm I'm with you, buddy. This is this is my first time seeing it. Uh, real quick, before I jump into my thoughts, when was the last time do you think you've seen this movie? Oh, uh, ten years ago. Okay, so it's relatively recent. Yeah, uh, it's it it it's you know it's on it's on Shout Factory and Anchor Bay released it years ago on a DVD like special release, and I knew I had to get it right away. And I remember watching it then, going, "Oh yeah, this totally holds up." And then watching it. For this podcast, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. So this being my first time viewing it, it was a little bit of a roller coaster for me. Like I told you earlier, I went from, you know, enjoying it to being a little bit bored in some spots to really loving it by the end. But if I just watched this movie in a vacuum and we never had this discussion, I would have been like, you know what? That was fun. I really enjoyed it. But us talking about it made me fucking love the movie. I never thought I was going to like it as much as I did. I have no nostalgia to this movie whatsoever. This movie has a million and one problems, especially in 2019. Yeah. But none of those problems detract from what I feel like is the story it's trying to tell and the message the message that it's trying to like put across. And it's weird because I want to just talk about the violence and the boobs and the bush and everything, but I feel like this movie deserves something more. It deserves a, a better a better eye than just looking at it for its exploitation. It, it deserves to actually be watched for for you know for actually what the content is. And I loved it, man. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's not perfect, but it's a lot of fucking fun, truthfully. And I think the movies we were going to watch on future podcasts, and Heavy Metal included, they're flawed films to a degree, but at the end of the day, when you flip a, you know, was it good or was it bad? This is definitely on the good side. Yeah, I mean, we're all fans of cult cinema here, so we all know that the flaws is kind of what, what makes us like these movies a little bit more. Truthfully, it's it's usually the flaws that yeah. that's fun. Those are the things that are fun. Otherwise, it's like ah, oh, the movie takes itself too seriously. But this this was perfect. This sometimes, was great. And sometimes the flaws get you to laugh a little bit to keep you from being shocked out of your mind because you know the, the scenes in this movie that are too intense, they are way there's enough moments where you go okay, I can laugh a little bit to relieve the tension. You know, I almost wonder if 
it was a direction from either the director or or the the executive producer, the lady, uh, the actress that was in the rape scene, to have Stegman's face be a little bit silly when he was when he was like like raping her to to maybe take away from the intensity of it. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> don't or know. that was just that dude's face. That was just his O face. I know. Man. Eddie I Murphy's know. made fun of that. <laughs> you know, back in the day. So yeah, man. Yeah. So this was a good one. I. I would recommend this one. At the end of the day, I think the 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 only rating that matters, and we're gonna kind of figure out how we want to 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 rate movies on this podcast. You guys are kind of you, you you're listening to the beginnings of this, so we're gonna like sort of figure it out as we go along. But at the end of the day, what really matters is I would recommend this movie for someone to watch it who's never seen it before. I would recommend them to watch it. Yeah, that, w- that is my takeaway. I would too. And I was thinking about this. I thought, well, should we give away certain things? You're going to watch this and you're just going to go in with this, w- w- maybe knowing what's going to happen. It's not going to take away from the fact. I- I've watched this movie, uh, you know, more than a handful of times and it still holds up. So whether you know what's going to happen or not, you're going to enjoy it either way. It's a good movie. It's, 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 a, it's a great cult, shocking, vigilante movie. Put that up there with, I started like kind of writing down movies on, my, on the side, um, you know, Over the Edge. Tough Turf, Vigilante, uh, The Exterminator, throw those movies into this same category and you're going to have yourself a nice exploitation revenge night. I do like myself a nice exploitation revenge night, man. Well, thanks for letting me bring this to the table. Dude, That's I love it, man. This, this is awesome. I really, really am looking forward to, to seeing stuff I've never seen before. It's not going to always happen. I think we're going to have some crossover for some stuff that we've seen um, together. But I love this. This is this is awesome. This is everything that I wanted out of this podcast, Yay. truthfully. <laughs> Yay. And I hope you guys enjoy it too. Uh, last week, we did say that we were going to be doing this movie, but we have not locked down a movie for next week. Um, we will do better about that because I want you guys to have a chance to watch it before the podcast if you want. So moving forward, we will try to uh, actually give you a heads up uh, of what we're going to do next. But, I mean, at this point, I'm sure once we're done recording here, Zach and I will probably talk about what we want to do next. But uh, we'll try to give you guys a heads up on that next time. So you Yeah, can, stay you know. tuned to our um, uh, our social media posts and we'll keep you in the check yeah yeah we are again another side note is we are recording this way in advance before you guys are hearing it and we have not set up like all of our social media stuff but by the time you do hear it you should probably have everything set up so follow us on facebook at podcasting after dark and we will keep you up to date on what movies are coming we'll try to give a schedule on there so people can actually go and watch it because we do want you guys to uh be a part of this yeah. and we have an email address set up podcasting after dark at gmail.com and again moving forward I envision I would like for us to sort of tell you what what we're going to watch next. And then if you guys want to email us or or comment on the Facebook post, give us your thoughts on the movie that's coming, the movie that we're going to do next, and we'll read it on on the podcast. So, for example, just for example, if we're going to do Return of the Living Dead Part 2 next, we would tell you that in advance. Then you could give us some thoughts on Return of the Living Dead Part 2, and then we will read them 
on the episode with Return of the Living Dead Part 2. That's, you're kind of getting behind the scenes right now into our thought process. <laughs> getting into the lock and key uh, vault. Exactly. So, But until then, uh, Zach, old buddy, old pal, where can we find you on both, I guess, online media and uh, other podcasts maybe? On the good old Instagram, you can find me at Zach Schaefer, Z-A-K-S-H-A-F-F-E-R, and on Twitter, Zach Schaefer V-O, and I am also on the podcast $2 Late Fee with Dustin Rubin. And uh, I'm working on a magazine called It Came From The 80s. So uh, check those out on the Instagrams and whatnot. Nice. How about you, Corey? Yes, sir. You can find me on Instagram at Corey Nation. And pretty much uh, podcast-wise, I'm, I'm, I've got a few ones going on uh I got a video game podcast called NSFW Gamer with my buddy Noah, where we talk about all, all things video games. And then I have a Seinfeld podcast called Cotwright, a Seinfeld podcast with Adam from the Blast from Our Past podcast, which you've heard me on before. And we are on their network. We're a part of the Blast from Our Past network. So you guys should be more than familiar with them. And uh, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is fun, dude. I fucking love talking about these movies with you, man. We are the future. Oh, God, I hate that fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> Take a look in my face. We are the future. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. (laughs) 